You are listening live, our Iowa football season finale show for the year 2021. It seems like just yesterday, Don, we were previewing Iowa and Indiana, and the season is now complete, and we're putting a bow on this season and looking ahead to next season. This is our last show with you for the year, uh, Don, so we're going to make it a good one. We're going to take calls here in a little bit, but uh, I want to start off, first of all, by talking about um, what has been a very entertaining season, culminating in a, a very entertaining national championship game, specifically the the win for Georgia. I know we're about a week removed from that win now, but what were your thoughts? I know we, we previewed it last week. Your thoughts on Stetson Bennett and, and just that great story for the, for the Bulldogs getting it done. It is a great story, and I guess most of the listeners are familiar with it. A guy that started off as a walk-on at Georgia, and that wasn't going so well, so he left for junior college and I guess that went a lot better and he returned to Georgia and yet he still was uh, in his mind, he was getting lost in the shuffle for a period of time. And yet because of injuries and because of um, trials and tribulations of any football season, uh, eventually he ended up as the, as the chosen one. He was the guy that was going to take snaps and he performed well in the latter stages of the season when it mattered the most. And, of course, he obviously um, performed well in those two playoff games. So hats off to Stetson Bennett. I think it's a good story for college football. I do think it's good that Georgia wins because Alabama had dominated so much. I think it gives others hope that they can pull it off a year from now or two years from now. And in that regard, the season ended on a positive note. It was a hard-fought game on both sides. Uh, certainly, Alabama's got nothing to apologize for for how they played. But the bottom line, and you do recall the analytics, of course, in getting ready for that championship game, uh, appropriately enough, the second quarter scoring was a tie. It was a push. And as you know, Corey, each of the teams won two of those four parameters. Uh, but the way in which uh, Georgia dominated in the running game, if you outrush an opponent by more than 100 yards, in this case, 110 yards, uh, and you went on turnovers, uh, that's that's a good sign. It's pretty hard to beat someone that beats you on turnovers and also outrushes you by triple digits. Bryce Young, um, you know, I heard somebody during the broadcast, I think it was on social media, that made the comment that he may have been the least impressive Heisman candidate they've ever seen. Now, that's obviously an exaggeration unfair to Bryce, who had a tremendous season, no question about it. But how good is that Georgia defense? And Really, isn't it the epitome of defense wins championships? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I certainly think, correct me if I'm wrong, he's a redshirt freshman this year, I think. I believe so. Second I year. I think he played so well. I know eligibility-wise, of course, he was a freshman. Played in all kinds of big games. And as you know, uh, Georgia dominated in most of those games. Only one game the entire season was a one-score game. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. And um, Bryce Young certainly perform well week in and week out. And, and I don't think he had anything to be ashamed of the way he played against Georgia either. Um, Georgia made some plays and and uh, Alabama wasn't quite good enough to get it done. It almost seems appropriate, I guess, that, that Georgia runs back a, an interception for a touchdown against Alabama because Alabama did it to them five weeks earlier. And in that regard, the, the final score is a little misleading because it was a one-score game until very late in the game. 
All right, Don, I do I do know that we're going to talk a lot about Hawkeye football. We're going to spend the show discussing as n- a number of Iowa issues, a number of uh, uh, items that are interesting going into the spring. And, of course, Iowa fans are, are as you know, uh, very into spring football. So we'll give them a, a little bit of a sneak preview of what to expect this coming spring. But I do want to talk about an issue that you brought up to me before we went live, and that is playoff expansion because I know – the committee met here, what, a week or two ago, and as of right now, they're at a stalemate. Um, I know you and I have talked about the expansion issue in the past. You have some thoughts, I know, on, on expansion, and, and we've talked about the downsides of expanding to 12. Um, has your opinion on expansion changed at all, at all now that we've completed another season? Not really, Corey. Um, and the listeners that might not be aware – one of my arguments against expanding to 12, if we expand to 12, of course, that means there are still four teams that would have a first-round bye. And I think we're right back to the same problem we've had in recent years, and that would be too much of those same four teams showing up year after year after year. Uh, and I think that would be a distinct advantage in the playoffs if those other eight teams had to play a, a quarterfinal game and um, and the four top seeds were simply – uh, getting healthier for that next next uh, round of games. So I think that doesn't solve the problem at all. I think it would be the same issue that we have with only four. Those four teams that have habitually shown up in the playoffs in recent years would be those same four teams that were most likely earning the first round by. So in that regard, I'm convinced more than ever that eight is the right number. And I'll tell you one other reason that just occurred to me in recent days. I, I was really frustrated to go through this bowl season thinking about all all the really outstanding players that opted out. I'm talking about regarding all bowl games. But it just occurred to me, the more I thought about it, if we expand from four playoff teams to eight, at least, let's face it, those four teams that were in the semifinals this year, I don't know that they had any opt-outs among those four teams for obvious reasons. Those players don't want to don't be part of what might end up being a championship run. And expanding to eight, of course, would give eight teams hope that they could win that national title. And in that regard, instead of four teams benefiting from the possibility of playing for a national title, you'd have twice as many. And I think those four teams, in addition to the original four, you probably wouldn't have any opt-outs at all among those eight teams. That's one more very good reason to expand from four to eight. So I hope the committee takes a long, hard look at that. I don't have any issues at all with five or six of those eight bids being automatic bids. I don't have any issues with the Power Five conferences all guaranteeing that a, a conference champ is in the playoffs. I know some people are concerned. Why, why would you want a, a two-loss team to be in simply because they won the, their conference title? Well, let's face it. It's a little bit like March Madness. If you, if you uh, struggle in and you're in the tournament and you start winning playoff games, then by all means, good for you. You're playing your best when it matters the most. And in that regard, it wouldn't bother me if uh, if uh, an Iowa team that was only only um, uh, let's say just for the sake of argument nine and three. Let's here's a, here's just a, a hypothetical nine and three. Let's imagine we lost to Iowa State, and then we were seven and two in the conference to finish with three losses, um, and we maybe we simply got into the championship game because we had. We were in a tie with Wisconsin, and we beat them head-to-head. All kinds of scenarios might produce a three-loss team. 
playing for the conference title. And let's face it, they're going to be the underdog in that conference championship game because the other team invariably will have a better record. But if they're able to beat them on a neutral field when the chips are all on the line, don't they deserve to be part of the championship playoffs? I think they do because they've really weathered a, a difficult test. And I think the same could be said for the other four conferences too, to one degree or another. I know we could argue that the ACC and the Pac-12 are not as good, uh, but I, I don't have any issue personally with all of those five champions uh, being guaranteed an automatic spot. That still leaves room for three at large. And in that regard, if, you, if you're upset in the Big Ten championship game and you still have the superior record, maybe you're still in, just as you would be in the in the uh, SEC or the Big 12 or conceivably even in the ACC and the, and the Pac-12. So I think it would all work out just fine. You could, you could certainly have, you could have five automatic bids for those five champions. Uh, I wouldn't have any issue with the highest rated um, group of five champion gaining a bid too. And then of course that still leaves room for a couple of that large, a couple of backup, backup teams, maybe the, Maybe the in most years the SEC runner-up after a head-to-head like we had this year uh, in the semifinals, maybe, um, or I should say after a, a really tight matchup and maybe the underdog wins in the SEC championship game. Obviously, the the runner-up might deserve to be in the playoffs too. I'd leave it up to the committee to decide who sh- who should round out the field, but I have no issue at all with expanding to eight. I think that's the right number. I do not think we should go to 12. It's extending the season. It's also giving an unfair advantage to those top four seats. So let me just get this straight. You would rather, would you rather stick with four over 12? If those are the two options? Uh, If those are the two options, I would reluctantly favor 12. Because I think that's a, a higher possibility. Uh, than sticking with four. I think there's a better better chance that the committee ends up approving a 12-team playoff format. And I I agree with everything you just said. I know I had a discussion with Reese, Reese Davis before College Game Day's show here in Ames in the fall, and I asked him that question. I know I shared his answer with you. Um, and, and he was big on the idea that a Northwestern team that goes you know, nine and four and somehow beats Ohio State in the championship game should not be in. Um, but I also understand your point of view. If a team shows up on the right day, um, you know, it, you kind of look at it. Now, again, it's a little bit different because you have the NFL playoffs where you have to win a number of games to get to the to the Super Bowl. But you look at maybe 10 years ago, the NFC West, you know, getting a 7-9 and nine team in. Right. There were teams that were left out with better records, but you play your division. And if people want to complain about your division, that's their business. But that that is how playoff formats typically operate it's based on division right yeah and let's think back to march madness again you've got a team that defied the odds and won their their um, their conference tournament well if they were in the middle of the pack in the regular season and yet they won their conference tournament they had to beat higher seeds maybe in the last two or even three games to be able to get there so they're playing their very best when it matters the most and that's Absolutely. an argument for giving them an opportunity to play ahead. A lot of different opinions here in the chat already. Um, you know, the bottom line is if you expand, it's it's automatically – there's no – as far as Iowa is concerned, um, I don't see how it could possibly – could possibly argue that it would hurt a team like Iowa, right? 
Um, now, you could say that it's not fair to a team like Alabama or Clemson or Georgia, these teams that are perennially in the in the conversation, but a team like Iowa that is perennially in the conversation of 5 to 15 to 20, to me, I, you know, teams like Iowa are the teams that should want it. And that's why I'm surprised the ACC pushed back on this last week because the ACC um, got left out. And as you brought up, the Pac-12 and the ACC, I mean, the Pac-12 was bad this year, Don. I mean, if you just look at it, uh, I know Mark Rogers has crunched the numbers. Even their performances against group of five teams, not very good uh, yeah. in the non-conference. And, you know, one of the best wins in college football was that Oregon win over Ohio State. But Oregon was pretty much, I shouldn't say a disaster, but very unimpressive un- the rest of the year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I don't know how soon things can get done. Again, you continue to take these committee. The committee continues to table. The, and I say the committee. Of course, these different conferences that are meeting, they continue to table things, and you wonder how many more seasons we're going to have to go with the current format. Um, Spaghetti Factory has a question here for us early. Was Iowa ever interested in Max Dubin? Kind of a random question, but I have no problem answering that. The answer to that question is yes, they were uh, interested in the Council Bluffs native. But, of course, I don't, I'm not sure if he... Um, you know, how interested Don. I know they offered him, but was the scholarship available when he committed to TCU? I don't have the answer to that. And of course he did commit to a Gary Patterson coached team. Now Patterson is gone. So I had speculated if TCU landed one of the big names in the portal, which they did not as of right now, I did speculate that possibly Max Dugan would be interested in coming home. But of course that, uh, that never happened, but yes, Iowa was interested at one point, I do want to let everybody know I got a surprise here for Don. I didn't tell Don this ahead of the show, but I got a surprise for Don. Got a surprise for you, Don, in about 10, 15 minutes. So okay. I'm not going to tell you what it is. So I just have to to uh, hang tight there. Um, Kenneth, good to have you here this evening. Um, Hawkeye Howard likes the eight teams. I have no problem with it. Um, 16, you know, the, the FCS. How does the FCS pull it off, Don? Because you were part of that. How do they pull it off? Well, incidentally, I was one of those that fought for expansion uh, in the in the uh, old one double A playoffs. I was the the chair of the committee, and uh, I argued in front of the NCAA more than once about expansion and the, the way I presented it. Think back then, at one time, at one time, you only had eight eight teams in. Um, yeah, eight teams, and imagine how difficult that is to be one of eight. And there's 100, roughly 131 AA teams, just like there are 130 FBS teams. And so the, you would define your success, successful season really as making the playoffs. Well, that, that all sounds good, but it's very difficult to do. A lot of really outstanding teams um, fail to get in. And meanwhile, of course, your definition of a successful season in FBS football was to go to a bowl game. Well, that sounded good when there were 20 bowl games a long time ago, but now that there's 40-something, that's not much of an accomplishment either. Matter of fact, more teams go to bowl games than don't go, if you want to think about it in those terms. So you're in the majority if you go to a bowl game. Uh, and and then they really had some difficulty to the whole process. This year, more than any other year, obviously the fact that there are only four teams that are playing for a national title, um, it really – it really hurts all those other bowl games in terms of fan interest. Everybody's excited about those semifinal games, but no one seems to care too much about watching the average bowl game, and I can understand it. So many games, you just get worn out unless you're really an avid football fan. It's hard to imagine that you're going to see them all. I watched I watched a lot of them, Don, and, and that's one thing I will say. 
I got really frustrated with people, and I don't get this, people who are like almost spokespeople against the bowl games, like these people that like to uh, make a, a point of saying that the bowl games don't matter unless you're in the playoff, bowl games don't matter. I, I don't know why we're concerned with downplaying. You, you, you've you been in the position, Don, for these kids that worked hard and fought to seven and five. You may not think they're deserving, but to say, well, I want to take that away from them when it's not hurting you at all. It's not right. hurting you at all to have that game on television. Now, you can say that it's it's not fair to the rest of the field that worked harder and won more games. You can have that discussion, but we saw and in, in during the, you know, for instance, the Music City Bowl, Tennessee and Purdue, how much that game meant to Purdue when they pulled that thing off. And I, I think that's one of the great things about college football. I think, and I've shared this with Mark Rogers. I know he echoes my opinion on this. The playoff is great as it is, and it's better than the BCS uh, Nationals title game and the setup we had during the, the BCS era. Um, it has diminished the value of bowl games, Don. It has. And, I, I, I don't like that at all. I, I I think it's a great I mean you got 130 FBS teams and I understand that most of them never have the even the inkling that they're gonna be able to make the playoff. But even for the power five schools, to say that only four have a successful season, that's unfair, isn't it? It really is. And you think back at there were any number of years where uh, maybe as many as four or five bowl games, typically all on January one, too. I'm talking about all the major bowl games. Well, let's face it, in general, they had highly ranked teams. So it's entirely possible you would have maybe as many as three different bowl games on January 1 that might very well involve the team that ends up voted as the mythical national champion. Obviously, you're going for an impressive win, the best of, the best of all the wins on January 1st. Logically, they might garner the votes to, to win the whole thing, the, the mythical national title. In that regard, there was a lot of interest in a lot of those January 1st games. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to make a request to everybody here. This is our last show of the season, and I know I tried to promote this show as much as I could, um, but if, if I could ask everybody who's watching it, about 40 people on so far, and again, I don't know that number will grow, but please, if you're listening to the show, you're a supporter of the show, please go to Twitter, go to Facebook, Instagram, wherever you do social media and share this show out in social media. Tell people we're on here for the last time. Me and Don specifically, I'll be on of course every Tuesday with Mark, but Don is making his final appearance of the season. So please share our show on social media so we can make this a great one. Get all kinds of questions. And again, uh, a really cool treat, not only for Don, but for everybody in about 10 minutes, less than 10 minutes or so. All right, we're going to leave our caller line open. We have one call to take here. Thank you for calling Iowa at the voice of college football. Who's on the line. Hawkeye Howard. Hawkeye Howard, how are you doing, buddy? Good to good to hear from you. I'm all right. Well, uh, you guys done a great job this this year. I really appreciate it. Now I'm going to take uh, ask Don and you a question. Um, we've all seen this year with referees. We've had our fill of bad calls. We've Don's problem. I mean, I've been around. Since Hayden, when Don coached, I've seen it all. Well, I've not seen it all, but I've seen them in share. Let's go with NASCAR. I love NASCAR. NASCAR took a lot of the people off the pit road and used cameras in a program to catch penalties. You can catch someone changing five lug nuts. Why can't you catch someone holding or put a little sensor in the ball where the actually where the ball is supposed to be placed? 
Um, I mean, why can't we do something like this? I mean, if NASCAR can do it, why can't football do it? Well, I mean, Howard, I mean, let me just say this. Part of the reason is because if you put a sensor in the ball, that won't allow Tom Brady to uh, deflate the balls. Oh, well, come on. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Don, that's a good question. What, what, do you have an answer to that? Well, the only thing I wonder about, I have wondered this. Have you noticed that nowadays the average kickoff, first off in the old days, of course, we kicked off on the 40. Now we backed up five yards because we wanted to be sure we had a chance to return kicks. And now those kickoffs from the 35 are all going five yards into the end zone. And the thing I wonder, you won't convince me that some of those footballs that are being kicked are not overinflated. Uh, now, just for the record, footballs do get checked. Uh, before the game, at least in the old days, I think they still do, officials will come by and they'll like, you know, you'll have a bag of balls and they'll check them. And maybe you have as many as 15 or 20 balls in that bag. And in theory, at that point, they're all they're all checked and they're all good to go. But I do wonder sometimes, is it possible? I do know this. Kickers do have a favorite ball often, and the ball they're using to kick off with is not the same ball that they play offense with. Um, and a lot of people might not even be aware, but you play offense with the ball of your choosing. And when the other team goes on the field, then they play with their own footballs, all of which have been checked. But I do wonder, is it possible – that those kicking balls are overinflated because I can't explain why so many kicks are going five yards into the end zone, uh, even if there's no wind, you know, such as Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's unfortunate because I think one of the most exciting plays in football is the kickoff return. And you've pretty much eliminated that. And now you've even softened it up to the mm-hmm. point where there's an incentive to fair catch a ball on the five yard line, uh, knowing at least that you get to move out to the 25. So uh, I do wonder about overinflated footballs in the kicking game. And because it appears to me that there might be a case of teams gaining an edge there. I won't say all teams, but certainly some teams gaining an edge with an overinflated ball. Let me just say this, Hawkeye Howard. Targeting, we can talk about this later in the show, but targeting needs to be looked at. How we enforce targeting, right? Levels of targeting, that needs to be looked at. Celebration penalties, that needs to be looked at because Iowa got hosed. Well, they didn't really get hosed. They very well, it could have cost Iowa. Remember the, the ball spin from Laporta that was called a t- uh, celebration penalty? That is ridiculous. Um, and then, of course, Xavier Hutchinson for Iowa State did. He got hosed on his, where he's going into the end zone. They call it back. Um, and then the fake injuries thing, right? Penn State fans aren't going to like it, but we got to look at this. There was somebody that, that posted a video that... that Looks suspicious from Kentucky. Now, I give Mark Stoops, I, I respect the guy. I think you do. And Don, you work with Mark. So I'm not assuming that, he, that but it's, it's, you've got to figure out a way to monitor that. And I don't know how you do it, but those are all issues the Big Ten and the NCAA need to look at. I agree with you. And I'm sure yeah. they have gotten a lot of discussion. They just finished their meetings, of course, this past week. So I'm sure that discussion was had and, and, and it's going to continue, I'm sure. I just feel, you know, like, Penalties and stuff, I mean, and holdings and stuff. I mean, there's times you can see right on TV, the guy's holding us, and there's nothing called. You know, I mean, I just feel that there's got to be a little bit more on both sides of the ball, you know, even on us or them, however it is. Just, I feel that we should take it out of the referee's hand a little bit more and kind of move it over to technology where there's no, no favoritism because – 
let's face it, sometimes referees have favorite teams. That's what my opinion is. Don, there's some substance to that, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the NFL net right now has a 45-second clock, I think. Maybe it's 40 seconds. I know this. It's a dirty little secret, but the average NFL game contains fewer snaps than the average college game. A lot of people would be surprised to learn that, but it's true. And you think about it, it makes some sense because they're trying to be sure that a, a 10-year NFL career maybe could become a 12-year career simply because the games don't last quite as long and you're a little less susceptible to injury in any given game. Uh, so that's one argument for uh, shortening the game in terms of having a longer clock, a longer play clock. But the other thing you'll notice, uh, I do believe that the, the NFL has tried to decide we want to make this as fair as possible. So we want to hold officials to a high standard. And if that means a lot of flags fly, then so be it. The average NFL game has a lot of flags, a lot of delays to sort out penalties. Uh, you probably noticed that even today. And um, and the good side of that is maybe they're catching more holding calls, more late hits, more whatever than, than the average college um, officiating crew catches. Uh, but the negative, of course, is that it lengthens the game. Now, um, NFL games, in terms of number of snaps, of course, their game is not as long. So it's okay to have more downs that do not involve a, um, a change in downs, you know, because of penalty, mm -hmm. a replay of that same down. Uh, but in, in college, if you uh, held the officials to that higher standard and required them to throw flags any and all times they saw a penalty, it would lengthen the game even more than it already is. Right now the average college game typically is, is scheduled for TV for three and a half hours. And, um, the typical NFL game will be played maybe in three hours. So they're allowing more time to complete a college game. It does involve more snaps simply because the play clock is a shorter duration than the pros. Uh, and I think to, um, to hold the officials to a higher standard and to demand that they flag them every, each and every time they see a foul, it would lengthen the game. There would be more penalties involved. It would slow the game down. I think for that reason, the basic mantra of the officials is make it be there. I heard that term a lot when I was a head coach, and the supervisor of officials said the advice I've given to them is when you throw the flag, you be sure you saw a penalty. And anything short of that maybe is simply uh, a talk to. You know, maybe the, the official simply says, number 75, uh, you're going to get flagged for holding. If you do that again, I'm going to – I'm going to call it on you because you are you're on thin ice with me. There might be a conversation similar to that among an official and a specific player. Uh, but in the NFL, you'll see them. They might flag a team three snaps in a row for holding if they see it. I think the officials are simply judged. Did you call it or not? If you didn't call it, then we're not going to allow you to participate in all these playoff games. The best officials, of course, are the ones that work the playoff games, the ones that have graded out the highest. So it is a dilemma for college football. Uh, I think college gets it right, frankly. I don't enjoy uh, seeing so many delays in action because of penalties. The NFL has a lot of those. They, on average, have more than the college game, I'm sure. Uh, and so I think college is trying to, to be sure we don't have as many penalties as the pros, and yet we don't want to miss any obvious calls either. We want to get them all right. I can see that. 
I can see. I didn't. Well, he must have. We must have lost him. Nope. I got you, Howard. I got you. Okay. All right. Well, I I uh, I can never seen that. I never seen his part of it. That's a very good um, answer to that. I the lengthen it lengthen the game, but I just kind of wish we had maybe uh, a little more technology into it. I'm a tech, I'm a tech nerd. Well, let's and, uh, let's get some cameras off the coming. pylons. Let's get a, a camera right so that's pointing yeah, right down the go. pylon. That's ridiculous that we don't have a, a better camera view. Some of these pylon plays. I mean, you know, the goal line plays. I should say. But. There was a play recently I saw. I think it might have been the Georgia Alabama game, if I'm not mistaken. Early in that game, one of the very first snaps, Georgia clearly lined up in the neutral zone. They commented about it. If you go back and listen to the playoffs, pretty sure it was the national championship game. I remember as I'm looking from the press box, I'm thinking the guys in the neutral zone. This should be a flag. Well, wouldn't you know it, that same guy that was cheating the line of scrimmage, he did get in the backfield. And I don't know if he got a sack or at least he got a pressure. Believe him, might have even gotten a sack. And yet there was no foul call. And sure enough, the announcing crew did say uh, number 99, I think it was 99 or 59. I can't remember the Georgia player, but he was an interior defensive lineman. He was one of the defensive tackles. Uh, he simply got by with lining up in the neutral zone, and it did have everything to do with him beating his man to the quarterback. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that irritates me. It's not hard. That football is not that long. Just be sure that both teams are out of that neutral zone. And just so you know how I feel, even though I'm an offensive coach, it's one of my pet peeves. How could a wide receiver line up in the neutral zone? That's stupid. It shouldn't happen. And yet you'll see them do it, yeah. and they're allowed to do it. Uh, just as defensive linemen are sometimes allowed to um, to be in that neutral zone, and we only have to go back to our our infamous fourth and one quarterback sneak that failed. Uh, you won't convince me that that one of those interior linemen for Kentucky was in the neutral zone when the ball came up. I think it's safe to say that he was. He simply got by with it. We didn't have a good camera angle, I guess. Uh, certainly, as I was sitting in the stadium, I couldn't tell what happened. But I, I suspected maybe he's simply guessing as to the snap count. And maybe when the ball came up, he at least had his hand in the neutral zone and got a piece of the ball as it came off the ground. I don't know what happened on that play, but I do think it's safe to assume that a Kentucky player was in violation of the rules on that snap. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. All right. Well, and I got one more thing to say. Uh, those who, I, I kind of was listening here. Those who say bowl games are irrelevant. Um, I'm going to take a quote from my father. Um, may he rest in peace. Uh, they're just a south end of the mule walking north. So. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Well, all you right. guys have hey, a good day. And enjoy. I've enjoyed your calls all season, Hawkeye Howard. Don't don't become a stranger. Okay, I, I'm I'm gonna be here all off season oh, no. with with Mark, and then and then join us next year. All right. Well, okay. wow, I plan on it. And uh, oh, real quick, what games next year should you guys suggest I go? Well, I'm gonna go to one game next year. And what's you got any suggestions? Well, Michigan for a home game. Michigan or Iowa? I picked the Wolves. Yep. But but I I would have I, Iowa State's not a bad one to go to either. That one's in Kinnick, so that's but those are Michigan's, all early games. Michigan's in October, right? That's the perfect time to see a football game in the Midwest. Yeah, that's the one that got moved. Well, we're gonna remember. I'm camping. I'm camping. I'll take the camper up. So okay, yeah. Um, there's some good home games on the schedule next year. It's gonna be Kinnick's gonna be rocking. There's no question about it. 
Yeah, I was thinking Iowa State or Michigan, one of them. So yeah. But all right, gentlemen, you have a good day and uh, go Hawks. All right, Hawkeye Howard, go Hawks. Appreciate the call, buddy. And and yeah, have enjoyed his calls. And Hawkeye Howard, he's one of our many very respectful, courteous callers. So I've appreciated his support all year long. Um, and Don. Um, we've got a little surprise for you here. I, I told you this a moment ago. We're going to welcome somebody into the, the show here that I think you know pretty well. Don, you know oh, this film, right? <laughs> that is a pleasant surprise. And the thing I'm aware of, TJ, you were in Iowa City as we speak. Is that right? Yes, sir. I'm here as we speak. That's what I thought. I read that on social media and I thought, TJ's in Iowa City and I'm not even in Iowa City. <laughs> but I am headed back your way shortly. Yes, sir. And, Made uh, it happen and rolled early, and I'm glad, excited to be here. Well, All right, got so, a, lot to look, a lot to look forward to, and I think it is a great opportunity for you to make a name for yourself this spring, even. Yes, sir. Uh, you know the beauty of uh, the mid the mid semester enrollment is now you have a chance to start off in spring ball, take full advantage of that. Uh, of course, get a leg up academically, get some of those freshman classes out of the way already. Yes, sir. Uh, and that means you can maybe take a little lighter load in some of these other semesters up ahead. Yeah, yes, all because sir. You no get doubt. started this spring, uh, and maybe most important as it relates to football, of course, have a chance to start competing this fall with the guys that you're that are now your teammates. And and um, you understand this, TJ. It's it's just I used to tell my players this as we as we met for the first time. I said it is it is it is okay if you're not first team. It's okay if you're second team. It's even okay if you're third or fourth team. Mm -hmm. What is not okay is you being anything less than your very best. Yeah. If your very very best means you're third team at the moment, we love you for being the best damn third team player you can be, and for putting heat on those guys that are ahead of you on the depth chart. And uh, but what is unacceptable is doing less than your very best. That's all we'll ever ask of you. I'm sure I speak for the coaches in telling you this, TJ. Just be as good as you can be. Recognize that you're all part of one team. Uh, you know, this is not every man for himself. This is every man for the Iowa Hawkeyes. That's what this is. Yes, sir. Definitely, Coach. Definitely give my best every time, every play. Always competing, no doubt. Well, so, I TJ. I want to give Sorry, a, ahead, a, shout, a shout out to, to your dad. Terrence was a great teammate uh, at Western Illinois. And the thing I appreciated, and I don't think I mentioned this on the air, but I went back and looked at your dad's highlight video that's still out there. And I, the thing that impressed me, I'd forgotten, you know, sometimes as a coach, you forget a little bit, TJ. But the thing I realized, your dad had some of his best games on the very biggest stages. Yes, sir. And as you know, he had a touchdown pass against the national champion, LSU. Yeah. LSU Tigers. He had our one and only touchdown in that game. Yeah. Uh, and I was proud of him for how he played in that game. But I lost sight of this. Uh, he also had a great game. Let me get my year straight. The previous season, his junior year, I believe it was, he had a great game in the playoffs against Western Kentucky. Yes, sir. We lost heard, that game. I've heard a lot of those stories. We lost that game 31-28, but I went back and looked at the stats. He had just a little bit a little bit short of 100 yards receiving in that game against the national champions. They were national champions 13 days later than we played. Or maybe, I believe it was 13 days, two weeks later. Uh, so he played really well against Western Kentucky, a great football team in FCS football. And then last but not least, we played after we – that same year that we played LSU tough – 
We went out and beat Montana in the playoffs uh, in overtime, 44-41. And then one week later, we're playing in upstate New York. We're playing in 10 inches of snow, and it was a blizzard. That snow was going sideways. And even then, your dad had another great game. He had maybe 70 or 80 yards receiving in a 10-inch blizzard. Man. So I remember thinking, if we would have played Colgate in the Carrier Dome where Syracuse plays, we'd yes, have beaten them by three touchdowns. Yes, sir. But they knew that, and that's why we ended up playing in the snow. They were the home team. Yeah. They were not interested in playing Western Illinois indoors. <laughs> Man. I so, think they knew what that would be. Don, they so LSU penciled you guys in as one of their uh, gimme games late in the season. Is that basically what happened? That reminds me, and you'll appreciate this too, TJ. We were in the third quarter. It was thirteen to seven LSU, but we had the ball with a chance to go ahead. And you can imagine the LSU crowd is wondering what in the world is wrong with our football team. And my yeah. response is nothing's wrong with your football team. You're playing the highest ranked team in FCS football. That's your problem. Yes, sir. Uh, because we're not just representing Western Illinois. We're re- representing all of FCS football. Yeah. And the rest of the story, now they're really mad because it's 13-7, and now they're driving the ball again. And we had an All-American linebacker named Lee Russell who ended up working for the F- FBI and Secret Service uh, in later life. Uh, he put his helmet on the ball again. It, the running back was Joseph Adai, who played many years for the Colts, I believe it was. Uh, but Lee knocked the ball loose again. Now we got the football with a chance to go ahead. I didn't even hesitate. You'll appreciate this, TJ. I call the short name version of the play is pitch back to quarterback. You know, the old flea flicker. Yes, sir. And the ball went up in the line, and the ball came back to our All-American quarterback. And when the ball went up, I'm thinking that is either a touchdown or a gain of 50. Uh, but the one thing I hadn't counted on, they had an All-American cornerback by the name of Corey Webster that played many years, I believe, for the Giants. Yeah. Great player. He made an incredible recovery. Our quarterback put the ball up with a little bit of air under it because our guy was so wide open. And the, and it was just enough, enough of a time of flight for Corey Webster to get back there and make a great interception on that ball. And here's the rest of the story. You can imagine we're playing LSU in September. It's hot and humid. We had guys after the game that didn't need one IV. They needed two IVs. (laughs) I don't even know how some of those guys finished the game. And my point is, in the middle of the third quarter, when I call that play, I put our defense right back out on the field after one snap. Yeah. I remember thinking at the time, I may get some funny looks from these defensive players as they go back on the field. (laughs) I'm happy to say, TJ, not one funny look because those players all knew – Coach P is just trying to help us win this game, and that yes, was sir. a good call. Yeah, it was simply a great response by Corey Webster. And it's funny how you remember those things, but so I have a great appreciation for cornerbacks, just like you do. Definitely, uh, definitely, Coach. You're gonna you're gonna be doing that to people in these next few years, and I'm gonna enjoy watching you do it. Yes, sir. Coach. Thank you, Coach. That's the plan. TJ, it's great to see you. Great to see you too, Coach. I, I gotta I gotta ask you a couple questions, TJ. So. I'm going to do this a little differently. I've got a few questions that I like to ask incoming Iowa recruits, but specifically you. And I want to talk, first of all, about your your high school experience. So tell us what it's like to come from Fresno to Iowa City. I know you've only you moved in today, correct? Uh, yesterday. Yesterday. So yes, you haven't you haven't had time to really adjust to the climate. But I know Fresno is a lot different than Iowa City. So first of all, what's your what's been your experience? I'm assuming you grew up in Fresno. Yeah. So uh for the most part, grew up in Fresno, uh, moved away, uh, but pretty much been there my whole life. 
Um, the transition coming from Fresno to Iowa is definitely uh, different. You know, where I'm from, it doesn't really snow like that. You have to drive it about an hour or two. And uh, stepping off the plane, seeing all the snow, feeling the weather, it was definitely different. But it's nothing I can't handle. Um, uh, just from back home, usually it's, it's very hot. Even in uh, December, it was hot, uh, always sweating. But coming to Iowa, you know, I know God won't put me nothing, put me through anything I can't handle. So I know I'll be just fine. TJ, let me share with you what I used to tell. I used to recruit Texas years ago when I was at, at Iowa. And, of course, we had such a great program. Nobody could ever say anything bad about the football program. The only thing that the Texas schools would say is, it's going to be really cold up there in the wintertime. <laughs> yeah. And so I finally figured out a good response for him when I was talking to a Texas recruit. And in your case, a guy, from, a guy from the San Joaquin Valley, I could say the same thing to him. I might say, uh, listen, you can't fool me because I grew up in Texas. What's the season for extreme weather in Texas? It's called summer. And I said, yes, I know what the summers are like. They're brutal. Yeah. And for that matter, a football game in September is not any fun either because – it's also high heat and humidity in September. Yes, sir. And so in the summertime, what do you do? Well, you dress appropriately, mm-hmm. and you don't spend all kinds of extra time outside. Yeah. You try to stay cool and stay indoors as best you can. Yes, sir. And the reason I bring it up that way to these recruits in Texas, and then I simply respond, okay, our season for extreme weather in the Midwest is the winter. Mm-hmm. So what do we do in the winter? The same thing you do in the summer. We dress appropriately, and we don't spend any extra time outside. Yes, sir. And oh, by the way, as you already know, as you already know, TJ, falls in the Midwest are second to none for football. Perfect weather for football in September, October. And if you're lucky, even into November, you've got great weather. Yeah. And uh, of course, you're used to some brutal weather, especially in the month of September in California. Yes, sir. And it's like I came to the uh, my official the Penn State game. It was October. It was like perfect. Yeah, no. ideal weather for football. And the rest of the story, of course, the worst 30 days of the year, you're not even on campus anyway. You're home for Christmas break, and that's after you go to the bowl game. And, of course, the bowl sites are mostly warm too. Yes, sir. So I got to ask you, uh, Don talked about your dad, Terrence, and his exper- experience at Western. But um, I, I know you, Kirk Ferentz even talked about how how big of a role – coach p played in your recruitment it's not often iowa goes out to california yeah and is able to land a kid that was wanted by the likes of arizona washington michigan etc so what sold you on iowa and how just talk about terrence is what your dad has told you about uh coach patterson man he's told me a lot um one started with coach patterson how he came from the hayden fry tree and uh that's a long line and then just Iowa, you know, there's a lot of tradition here, the culture. Um, this is the, the Iowa is the only uh, football team here. And I just love how the fans, they're all in, they're bought in. And every game is sold out no matter what. And then the, the coaching stability, knowing the coaches will be here. Uh, they won't be going either to another place or having another coach every, every couple of years. And then just uh, meeting with Coach Parker and, hearing him and hearing what the knowledge he has for the game and then hearing how here they just are hard workers. They compete every play. And that's pretty much the type of player I am. I'm always competing, always working hard. Now, TJ, are you, are you about 175 right now or is this a little bit low? Uh, a little bit low. 
you could go up about four or five pounds. Also, the height too. I'm six two. You're six two. Okay, because I, I saw one one site had you at six foot, one had you at six two. So I figured I'd split the di- difference on that. So you are a lengthy corner, and I know I'm going to do this a little differently. Normally, Don, I wouldn't have you on here when I interview an Iowa recruit, but given the special circumstances, I'm going to ask you this question. What are TJ Hall's strengths? Well, TJ, I don't think you'll mind me talking about this. A couple of years ago, your dad, your dad texted me and he said, coach me, I got a favor to ask. And I said, sure. What is it? And he said, would you do me a favor and take a look at TJ's video from his sophomore season? And I want you to do me a favor and give us some ideas about things TJ should work on. And as you recall, TJ, I did that, and I reported back to your dad, and I, I'm sure that information got through to you. Yes, sir. And it, it wasn't anything that we need to share with the with the, the listeners, but it's safe to say, um, you know, we were able to think of some things maybe where you have some room for improvement. And, mm-hmm. of course, I know you took those to heart, and that's one reason you still made rapid improvement, even from your sophomore to your junior and now your senior year. And the, uh, one of the greatest compliments I could give you, TJ, I recruited a guy years ago from Texas to play at Iowa, and he played corner, and he played it really, really well. And he was taller than the average corner, just like you are. Yes, sir. And his name was Merton Hanks. Merton Hanks, yeah. And he was a great player and a great person. Uh, and he had a chance to, to turn down the University of Texas to go to Iowa. Uh, his mom always said that Fred Akers could not understand – why a top recruit in Texas would go to Iowa rather than go to the University of Texas. Yeah. And I guess the reason is simply, you know, he felt a great sense of, of uh, family at Iowa. And um, he also knew that Bill Brazier was a great defensive coordinator. And now you've got Phil Barker in yes, that sir. role for you. Uh, by the way, there was one other thing I said to a recruit from Texas, and, and it's something you alluded to a minute ago, TJ, you mentioned – uh, how big a deal it is to play for Iowa. And it's primarily because we don't have an NFL team in the state of Iowa. Yeah. So as I explained to the guys from Texas years ago, we are the Dallas Cowboys of Iowa. And yes, at the sir. time, the Cowboys were – they were America's team. And they knew what I was talking about. It must be a big deal to play for Iowa because if you're a little kid growing up in Iowa, you hope to someday be wearing black and gold. Yeah. And, uh, and I know that's – what a great – thing for you to look forward to is to feel uh feel very special to wear that uniform and to have so many people behind you the entire state of iowa is behind you yes and, sir. Um, it's a lot you're, to look you're forward looking to. forward to it coach with tj being lengthy i mean he's he's a i'm assuming you're probably end up, gonna end up playing corner at iowa right am i yes, right on saying that tj i mean things can always change i get that but don i know you were never a defensive coordinator but what does length do when you're a corner? Typically, you have a guy like Desmond King, for instance, who's 5'10", maybe 5'11", probably that's generous. So what will TJ's length be able to uh, help him on as far as defensive play? There were times when we were going against corners that could cover, except they simply weren't very tall. And in some cases, I might even tell the quarterback, I don't care if the guy has good coverage or not. Go ahead and put it up because those 50-50 balls, we're going to win those because this guy's simply not tall enough to compete against a taller receiver. Uh, those 50-50 balls, people are going to think long and hard about throwing those against you, TJ. Yes, sir. Because I know you understand the high point of football. Yeah. And I also know for a fact that you got really, really good hands. Your great dad hands. had great hands. 
Yes, sir. And I know you proved yourself as a high school receiver just like you proved yourself as a defensive back. Yes, sir. Yeah, they, they say they say a lot of DBs can't catch, but I'm not one of those. I know that. And as you noticed, Iowa's defensive secondary in general has good hands. Great hands. Led the we don't pass up many opportunities, do we? Yes, no, sir. I wonder where you got those hands from, TJ. <laughs> Maybe mom. Yeah, I thought your mom had good hand-eye coordination too, didn't she? Because she was an athlete too, right? Yes, sir. Mom was an athlete too. The whole family was pretty much athletes. Mom was a softball player. Yep. And well, you she was have a good hand-eye coordination to hit a softball. Yeah, she was at Western. She didn't play softball at Western, though. Okay. So, current def- defensive back room, TJ. Um, just to name a few, of course, Riley Moss returning. Kayvon Merriweather will be back. Obviously, uh, X, as everybody's calling him, Xavier Wampa. But, I mean, Conan Trader, and then, of course, um, or Conan Tringa, and Tringer. Man, I have a hard time pronouncing his name already. Um, and then, of course, Orlando Trader. I can go down the list. Jamari Harris. Are you close to anybody in that group yet? Yeah, pretty much um, a lot of them. Xavier, he's my roommate. Um, okay. me, me, him, Orlando, and Cohen, uh, we have a group chat. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to getting closer with Riley Moss, Kayvon Merriweather, uh, Terry Roberts, he was my uh, my host when I was a recruit, so I'm pretty close to him. But I'm just looking forward to getting even closer with everybody. And if there's anybody that's going to teach TJ Don about working hard to earn playing time, it's a guy like Terry Roberts who has busted his butt on special teams that's for, true. what, three, four years now, Don? Very true. And, you know, the nice thing about our scheme, as you're well aware, TJ, our basic um, defensive structure is five defensive backs, right? Yes, sir. The cash position. I read something in the paper just the other day. There's some discussion about about our experienced corner moving to that cash position. Maybe he's better suited to be that inside defender that's typically lining up over a slot. Uh, maybe maybe Riley could be better suited to play there, and maybe that uh, gives him a chance to project even better for the NFL than he already does. Yeah. So my point is it's not unusual to find three cornerback types out there playing, the two that are playing corner and the guy playing cash. Mm-hmm. So yes, you, sir. Got, you got additional opportunities to earn playing time just because we play pretty much almost all the time with the nickel nickel personnel grouping. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm looking forward um, to earning my spot, working hard for all of it. Well, it won't come easy. You know, nothing, nothing worthwhile ever does come easy. Yes, sir. But it's there to be had. And I just always remind the guys – uh, just focus on trying to be a little bit better tomorrow than what you were today. Yeah. If, if you just make that little inch-by-inch improvement, you're going to end up as a great player. It's all there to be had, and I'm looking forward to watching you get that done, and I'm looking forward to having you over as a as a meal guest at our house sometimes. We're not breaking any NCAA rules if I yes, invite you over infrequently. Yes, sir. Well, it Thank won't be you, all Coach. the time, but it will be some of the time, that's for sure. Yes, sir, definitely. Thank you, Coach. I really appreciate it. All right, yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be prouder, and I'm also very proud of your parents because I know that both your mom and dad have done a great job of raising all you children. Yes, sir, definitely. I've got uh, just a couple more questions for you, TJ, and we'll let you slide. I know you probably got some other things on your mind, but um, first of all, we, we talked about your strengths, and again, your length stands out on tape, but but what are your weaknesses? I'm going to ask you this question. What what do you still perceive? I know you've worked on things, but what do you still perceive as weaknesses that you are planning on really focusing on this spring? Oh, man, weaknesses? Uh, probably, I'll say weight. Um, definitely could put on some more weight. 
uh, that's just from working out or metabolism always going, but I'll say that, um, geez, really, I, I feel like, I feel like I don't really have any weaknesses. I feel like I have a lot of strengths, but all, obviously I can always improve on everything. But as far as I don't think, I, I don't think I confidence like is a weakness of TJ's Don. I think he's got plenty of confidence. That's important. You got to believe in yourself. You know, you got to understand. I'll say it this way, TJ. Guys that are afraid to play the game, they're at a disadvantage. You know, you got to embrace the competition. And you got to have a, you got to have, you've heard it said, great cornerbacks have a short memory. They don't remember if they're, if they're beaten. They don't let it dwell, dwell on them. You know, they, they put it behind them. They learn from it. Uh, and they tend to forget about it as quickly as, as possible. That's, there's never been a corner out there that hadn't been beaten a time or two. Yes, sir. The trick, of course, is not to let it happen very often. That's for sure. Yes, sir. Definitely. All right. Final thing, TJ. Goals. And I'm not talking. We can talk short-term goals. Maybe you got a a goal of helping somebody or doing something for the children's hospital. Those are great. But also personal goals, making it maybe to the next level. What are your your goals even after football? Um, you can go short-term or long-term. Um, short-term. Uh, first I'll just start with, with class, um, get the best grades I can in my class, at least, at least 3.0 and above. Um, then on the field, just stay healthy, uh, get bigger, stronger, faster, uh, get to know the playbook fast, get to know everything quickly. Um, so I can give myself the best opportunity to get on the field. And then I'll say long-term goals, or actually, you say it's short-term or long-term. As far as the team, I'll say definitely want to get back to the Big Ten championship and win that with the team. And then long-term, um, get to the uh, NFL. Absolutely, I think those are pretty good goals, don't you think, Don? Those are lofty goals, but they're all achievable. Yes, sir. They're all achievable. And you got the coaches to to get you there. I think Don, yeah. you'd agree with that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I tweeted out today, I think Phil Parker is the most underrated defensive coordinator in the country, and I think there's no question the most underrated defensive backs coach in the country. I mean, there's just no no yeah. question in my mind about that. Um, that reminds me, I enjoyed Micah Hyde had a great interception yesterday for Buffalo. Yes, sir. And, um, of course, he's. I believe he was first-team all-pro as a free safety or second team. I can't remember, but he was – uh, going to he's going to the Pro Bowl, I guess, or he's at least earned first or second team honors. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a guy playing for the Cowboys today. Hooker is that Amani Hooker? I think it probably is. Oh, he's Amani's like, named named Hooker. I'm assuming it's Amani. I don't know that for a fact. Well, Amani's and Amani's on the Tennessee roster, so okay. So there's a different Hooker. Yeah, probably. I don't even know who it was then because I assumed it was Amani. Didn't realize there were two Hookers playing in the NFL. <laughs> Both DBs. Well, and, and you can go down the list. Geno Stones had a terrific year. I mean, undersized, undersized guy at safety. Uh, and Mike Hyde, you know, Mike Hyde was playing corner in high, in uh, in college. So, and he was certainly, I believe, he was a two star quarterback coming out of high school. Uh, I didn't realize that. Uh, and I, yes, I said quarterback, a two star quarterback, I believe, coming out of high school. And now he's, and that was just an incredible play he made for Buffalo yesterday in that game. And he has been spectacular. And he's not a young guy anymore, Don. He's been in the league for it seems like forever. Yeah, it's been a while since he played at Iowa. That's true. All right, Don, anything else to, to send TJ off? I know you'll see him soon, but anything to, to send him off with? Well, let me let me ask you to do this, Corey, if you will. 
be sure that TJ knows how to explain to his parents how to pull up this podcast, because I'd like for your mom and dad to have a chance to observe you here on this particular interview. Yes, sir. Definitely. Absolutely. I'll send you the link uh, as soon as we're off, TJ. Appreciate you, you jumping on with us this evening. And uh, w- hopefully we'll get to talk uh, in a couple of years about uh, those goals you br- you uh, set out for us. Definitely. And thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. TJ, I look forward to seeing you soon. Coach, I look forward to seeing you too. Appreciate you too, Coach. Take Thanks, care. TJ. That was enjoyable, Don. I figured you would uh, enjoy speaking with TJ. Absolutely. And of course, what a wonderful young man. Well-spoken, uh, very polite, very studious. Obviously, he's got very, very, uh, very good parents. You can tell. Well, I, I feel really blessed. You know, Terrence played for me and did a great job for us. He was a junior college player from California. So he only played for us two years, but he had two really outstanding years. And the rest of the story is his uh, TJ's mom was also a student at Western Illinois. Uh, she and Terrence were high school sweethearts. And when Terrence came to the Midwest, she came with him and she actually worked in the football office. So I knew her very well too. He's got two wonderful parents. And is it, is it any surprise that he turned out so well? Uh, both parents are outstanding role models for their children and they're both outstanding athletes too. Don, I know that it's, it's impossible to predict the future, especially with recruits, but I would be shocked if TJ isn't, uh, I don't want to put too lofty expectations in front of the kid, but, uh, you can just tell again, he's got the intangibles and obviously um, he had the interest. I mean, Michigan wanted him, Washington wanted him. I mean, you can get on the list, but uh, I will be shocked if he's not um, a tremendous corner at Iowa. And again, not just because of the fact that you know, what, what we just talked about, his strengths and his length and, and whatnot. But again, going back to Phil Parker and what he's been able to do. And I, I go back to this 22 class, Don, I, with Xavier Wampa and TJ Hall and Conan Tringer and Orlando Trader, and they got a couple of those guys to flip from Central Michigan. I think that's a really good class, and I know maybe the star ratings aren't always there, but Don, you you've experienced this at Western. Star ratings don't all. How, how what was Terrence even rated? Was Terrence all rated when he was being recruited? You know, I don't remember. We never worried that much about about how many stars a guy had. Uh, and I mentioned to Kirk even recently. We talked about the fact that he'd had a good recruiting season and. And um, I simply reminded Kirk, and he knows as well as I do or better than I do, uh, it's not the fact that a guy's a four-star or a five-star, that doesn't guarantee success in college football. Uh, What matters the most is the mindset of that individual. And I simply made this observation to Kirk. Coach Fry is the one that I first heard say it. He said, you know, a funny thing about recruiting, it seems to me the guys that end up playing the best for us are the ones that are the most excited about being here. And it is so true. It is so true. That's why you have – how else do you explain, um, you know, a guy like Sam Laporta? I'm sure a lot of people didn't dream Sam Laporta would play so well. He wasn't what you would define as highly recruited. I don't think he had a lot of big offers. Uh, but there are all kinds of other players, of course, that are in that same category. Uh, but the bottom line, if they have a, a burning desire to achieve at a high level – and they never, ever want to disappoint their coaches or their teammates or our fans, that's what gives them the motivation to be a little bit better every day of the week than what they were the day before. Absolutely. And, I, I again, I just want to thank TJ for making the time to jump on with us this evening. I know it's been a busy, busy weekend, one of the busiest weekends of his life moving to Iowa City, Don. So um, I do want to thank TJ for making that happen 
and again it was a pleasure to be able to uh see your reaction too as, as well don i enjoyed that, that was so, fun for um, me too Corey. thank you for setting that up I, I do. I know we're behind on a couple of questions in the chat here. Our line is back open, so if people want to give us a call, 515-758-7773. But a couple, a couple comments and questions here in the chat. So this one, I haven't really talked to you, Don, but Kenneth wants to know, are you going to be on with our, with our show next season? He's putting you on the spot. I wasn't going to put you on the spot on the air, Don, but he wants to know if you're here. I, I'm going to guess you're probably going to, you're, you're going to say, well, we'll, we'll see what happens because you never know. You could, Nick Saban could be giving you a call here soon. Yeah, probably if he calls me, it would be a, a wrong dial. Uh, <laughs> we haven't talked since that that day in um, at LSU, I think. I take that back. Yeah. We did talk after the game at the convention. And I okay. remember I just congratulated him on winning the national title. And uh, he said something I'll never forget, Corey, after our game. He told the LSU media, he said, we will not be hit any harder all season than what we were hit tonight by Western Illinois. What a great compliment to, to pay a, an FCS football team. And um, and it was it was no surprise to me that we could go to Montana and win the day we beat Montana in the playoffs. I told him after the game, I said, I wouldn't tell you this before the game, but we're the 20th playoff team to come to Montana and yet only the third to win. So today you did something of significance. And I wasn't surprised by it because we'd already played at LSU. They call it Death Valley for a reason. It's a hard place to play, and yet we gain confidence in losing to LSU. LSU goes on to win the national title. It's no surprise to me that we went on to be one of the very best teams in FCS football. So coming back to our question, Don, we hope to have you on next season. I'm not going to commit. I'm not going to make you commit here on the spot, but I will tell our listeners that I hope Don will be able to make it next season, but he's not under any obligation for that. Uh, John says he enjoys the show's. He likes an eight-team playoff, five conference champs with three at-larges. Um, I like the Bulls, too. Watched a lot of the games this year. Yeah, again, when it's cold, and we didn't have a very – we had a very mild December, Don, but even so, getting those – and, again, knowing that those bowl games are the last college football games we're going to see. And, I mean, seriously, we have to wait like eight and a half months. At least last year, Don, not that I watched much of it, but at least last year we had the FCS playing in the spring. Right. <laughs> And this so, year you're going to be reduced to watching one of 162 baseball games on any given. Oh, yeah! April don't get me May. started. I, I I enjoy watching the Dallas Mavericks. I've been a Mavs fan. In fact, I'm wearing a Dallas Cowboys shirt, Don. I'm not a Cowboys fan, for the record. Now they did. Did they win today? I think they lost. They were That's down six, thinking. and they failed on downs with a minute, a minute and a half left. So I think they probably what? went on to lose. I can't imagine the Cowboys flaming out. That just doesn't seem like that ever happens, Don, does it? They've been a little bit inconsistent. Even this year, they had a 12-5 and record, and yet uh, not very consistent from one game to the next. So it doesn't shock me that the 49ers beat them. But let's face it, this weekend, the home team has typically held serve and won so far. And yeah. I guess today's an exception, at least with the Cowboys. And just for an update, everybody, uh, Steelers Chiefs right now, Pittsburgh leading Kansas City in the second quarter, 7 nothing. Don. So it's early. It is, it's early. I know, but but that, that Kansas City offense to be held in check for the entire first period is, is somewhat impressive. Um, and actually, I, I can tell you the 7-0 seven, the seven was a uh, direct, direct snap. It was actually, Kansas City had the ball in the second quarter. It was a direct snap to McCole Hardman. He fumbles the ball at the Kansas City 28. It's, it's recovered by 
I'm just reading you what, what ESPN tells me. It was recovered by a Kansas City ball carrier. And then let me uh, get this back. Recovered by a Kansas City ball carrier. He fumbles then. It's recovered by TJ Watt, who runs 26 yards back the other way for a touchdown. Well, we've <laughs> talked about defensive scores, as you know. If you score on defense in the Big Ten over the last six years, you win 78% of the time. Well, so. it appears that Pittsburgh came ready to play in this game. The defense. Listen to these. Uh, these are the, the, the drives so far, the possessions. Steelers started out with the ball. It went punt, 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 punt. Interception for Kansas City. Punt, punt, punt. Fumble return for a touchdown. Well, <laughs> that sounds like an of, Iowa game, Don. <laughs> a lot of three-snap drives, it sounds like. Yes, yes. Um, I, that's incredible. So, all right, back back to our back to our questions here. Um, I see a lot of people talking about holding. You know, holding is a it's a tough one. I don't know how you can fix all the misholds that are that happen in college football. But John does have a question here for you. What has to happen for Iowa to move from the one twenties in offense to something around average? Now, this is a great question, John. I'm going to put this on hold. So don't, let's not answer this yet, Don, because I have something prepared for you here in a few minutes. Once I get caught up on these, these questions in the chat, we're okay. going to address, address the offense, address the numbers. Now that we have all the bowl game information and all that data completely compiled, we can actually run through the final numbers and then we can talk about just your thoughts of possible things that, that might happen during the off season that can improve what was a, a difficult year offensively. Um, Paul says, can coaching improve a quarterback's ability to quickly process a defense and get the ball out of his hand? In my opinion, the game is too fast for Spencer, and he is throwing late. That's a great breakdown, I think, Don. What are your thoughts on the uh, – can coaching improve this? That's a, that's a good question to bring up, Paul. And I'll say this. Um, uh, you've heard me say it before, Corey. Uh, the fact that you have above-average intelligence doesn't guarantee – that you're going to quickly process the games. And it's a good indicator, of course. Uh, and you've heard me say the guy taking snaps better have above average intelligence. And then more fundamental than that, he better be able to process the game quickly and be able to make snap decisions and be able to get rid of the ball in a hurry. You always hear people talk about a quick release. Uh, you don't want to have a long drawn out throw in motion. You need to be able to get the ball out in a hurry. And uh, the best quarterbacks are able to do that. I think some guys simply are born with a better knack of processing than others. But the bottom line is everybody can improve with mental rehearsal. You know, any, I always told our quarterbacks, if you're not taking the snap, you're standing back behind that quarterback, and I want you to mentally be in inside of his helmet because you need to try to visualize what he's seeing, and you need to learn from his mistake. And for that matter, maybe you make a mistake yourself. You're standing behind the quarterback but you're mentally rehearsing what you would do in that same circumstance. And maybe, maybe you make the decision to choose a certain receiver. Maybe it happens to be the same one that that quarterback chose, the one taking the live snap. And then maybe you see as the ball's thrown, it looked like a good choice, but in fact it's not. Or maybe it's more fundamental than that. Let me give you a good example. If it's third down and long and you got a receiver progression to go through, maybe the progression involves a deep receiver and then an intermediate receiver and then a short receiver, and then a backside receiver on the other side of the formation. Well, if it's third down and long, the progression should be deep receiver. I'm talking about against zone coverage. You read top to bottom. Deep receiver first, covered, 
down to the intermediate receiver, covered. Now you bypass that short receiver. You don't dump the ball on third and ten. You're going to dump it for three yards. He's going to be tackled for a gain of five, and you're going to punt. So now the progression, instead of going one, two, three, and backside receiver four, is simply one, two. Forget about three, because three doesn't produce the yards you need on that critical down. At that point, it goes deep, intermediate, and then backside route, whatever the backside route might be. So the progression changes based on down and distance. That's my point. So that's the kind of mental rehearsal that you need before the snap. You heard me say uh, in baseball, we always talk about it. And the example I give the quarterbacks is I want you to imagine, first off, I ask them, did you play baseball by any chance? Yes, coach, I did. I said, okay, good. What position? Well, if I was really lucky, he said shortstop or second base. I said, okay, good. Shortstop. That's perfect. So let me give you an example. Man on first, one out. You're playing shortstop. The ball is hit hard to your position. What do you do on the play? You need to know what you're going to do before the ball is ever thrown. The ball's hit hard and it's it's cleanly fielded. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention guy on first and guy on third. First and third. Ball's hit hard. What do I do? You know what to do, Corey. You try to turn two. Try to turn the double play to get out of the inning, right? And the fact that the ball's hit, hit hard gives you time to do it. Gives you a realistic expectation. I can flip the ball to second base. Second baseman doubles up the runner at first. And you're out of the inning. Um, well, that's one scenario. But what about the next scenario? A ball hit to you, but hit soft. A ball that doesn't have a lot of speed. Well, uh-huh. first off, you got to charge the ball. And even then, you probably have no chance to turn the double play. So what do you do, Corey? You fire the ball home to get the guy breaking for home play. Now, maybe you check the runner and he's not even – he's still standing on third base. At that point, you throw it to first to get one out, and now you're down to two outs, and now you can get out of the inning. That's an example. You make all those mental processes happen before the ball is ever even leaving the pitcher's hand. Same thing in football. Pre-snap, you gotta make you got to make pre-snap judgments about what's going to happen because if you're waiting until after the ball snapped, there's, there's too little time to be able to – Process all that. So process it as best you can before the, you've ever called for the ball. That's a simple example, but that baseball analogy is a good one. Hope that makes sense to you. It does, and and that's something that I, I do agree. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Spencer Peters has struggled mightily with decision-making. Uh, that's just that's just how I look at it. I, I, I recall, um, and again, I, I'm going to talk about this during the offseason. We'll break it down with Mark Rogers. But for instance, just one example of, what you just described not taking place was fourth down against Wisconsin. I was down by 20 against Wisconsin in Wisconsin territory, and it's fourth down, and Spencer throws the ball out of bounds. Right. That, that's just time and situation, understanding situation, Don. And we're down, I believe, three scores at the time maybe? Yeah. Yeah, three scores. Yeah. Here's how I used to explain it to the quarterbacks. If, if we're in a desperate situation and we're down to fourth down – I don't care if you have to throw it back over your, over your head, blindly throw it down the field. Don't get tackled with the football. And for that matter, don't throw it off the field. Because as long as it's in the field of play, we always have a chance to get it. Obviously, you want to throw it in the general direction of someone on your team. But the bottom line is do not get tackled with the ball. Because we know what that involves. That involves change of possession. And, and we have to somehow, some way, keep this drive alive. So if you need to throw it while you're blindfolded down the field, do it. This is one time when you've got to take that chance. John says, if a player is injured, they must sit out an entire series. I've heard that. That might work. 
Um, certainly it's something that I think the, again, the, the rules committees will have to take a look at this off season. At least I think they should. Let's take our next call. Thank you for calling Iowa, the voice of college football. Who's on the line? Hello, Mansky. How are you, sir? Good. Uh, I guess I'd like to tell Don that, uh, coach Kirk got his, uh, coaching extension to 2029. And so that means to me that you're informally being offered an extension. I'm sure Corey and his computer has got it saved to formally give you an extension, Don. Uh, and we hope you see you next year. What is the longest extension you've got in your coaching career? You know, honest to God, as an assistant, you were always under a one-year contract back in those days. Um, sometimes we joked about the fact that that if a head coach was offered a uh, a lifetime contract, even the only problem with that lifetime contract is the AD could declare you at any moment legally dead. And um, so uh, in our mind back in the day, there was really no such thing as a long-term contract. Um, you know, that's the truth. Uh, you know, you never, you never worried about how long your contract was later on. And only later on did people say, I need some job security. Nowadays, assistant coaches will have two-year contracts a lot of the time. And that's a real burden to a lot of athletic departments because I know of any number of coaches that got let go after one year, and now you've got to pay them for another year. And you're paying, of course, for nobody that's even working at your school anymore. Uh, that's happened in any number of cases. So, um, you know, I never had the benefit of a long-term contract, and frankly, I never really felt like I needed one. Uh, my mindset was always, if you don't think that you want me to be your coach, then I'm not sure I want to be your coach anyway. I don't want to be, I don't want to be uh, coaching with one hand, one hand tied behind my back. I don't want to ever feel that the only reason you kept me around is so you didn't have to pay two people. And um, in that regard, um, I always had a one-year contract. Back in those days, you didn't have a long-term contracts, at least in FCS football. We've watched the uh, decline of uh, the Nebraska football program, and uh, they're trying to remedy that. How important is it that we've had such long tenure between Fry and Kirk? Does that really bode well for helping to keep assistance? How important do you think that is in linking programs from year to year? And, uh, you know, Iowa State had some turnovers of, I thought, some pretty good coaches back in the day that didn't get it turned, and now they're on a roll. Tell me your viewpoint and compare it to other Big Ten programs and just your thoughts on that. Well, my thought, first off, let's imagine that you, you're the typical coach's family. If you are, I'd say the average coach's family maybe has 2.5 kids. So whether you have two kids, two children or three, uh, I know it certainly affected our thinking with our daughter. Uh, we didn't want to be the kind of family that was up and moving every few years. And uh, I've always been suspicious of any coach. I was thinking about hiring if he had been through too many different jobs. He, he If he moved every two years, I'm – Wondering, especially when a lot of them appeared to be very lateral moves, I'm wondering what's going on. Is he is he moving on because he was asked to, or is he moving on because he was confident that he was bettering himself and his family? Well, so often those moves didn't make sense. Uh, so the thing that I always felt is I want to be able to have great job security, and I felt at Iowa because of Coach Fry's job security and the fact that I knew he had confidence in me, uh, I wasn't worried about, uh, looking for my next job. Coach Fry always said there are only two kinds of coaches out there. There are those that are focused on doing their job to the very best of their ability, 
And then there are those that are preoccupied with what their next job might be. And he said, if you want to stay on my good side, you be sure in that you're in that first group. You be sure all of your energy is related to preparing as well as you possibly can for your current current employee. Uh, and I do remember, Corey, I think we discussed this on the air one time, uh, talking about providing other teams with some insight into how we did things at Iowa. Coach Fry always reminded us, I understand he's your friend, and I understand you want to help him to be able to keep his job or make himself a better coach. But don't ever lose sight of the fact I don't pay you to help him look good. I pay you to look make Iowa look good. So you be careful not to give away too many secrets because – those secrets we've learned are what gives us the winning edge in so many cases. And for that reason, those coaches that came to visit, they probably didn't get as much help out of us as what they hoped for because we simply weren't going to give away all of our secrets. Well, uh, Don, Corey, I uh, can speak for Corey. You're his favorite offensive coordinator that lives in Iowa City at the current moment, so – Corey's not the only one that thinks uh, you're our favorite offensive coordinator that lives in Iowa City. I'll hang up and listen. Thanks, Lomansky. Appreciate the call as always. And uh, yeah, you are my favorite coordinator that lives in Iowa City, Don. <laughs> I'd probably only, go. There are only two to pick from, I think. There are only two. There are only two to pick from. And uh, I'm not giving up on Brian. You know, I, I that's one thing. And, and I understand there's been a lot of uh, frustration about the offense. There's frustration about. Um, you know, the fact that Kirk's son is the offensive coordinator. I understand people. I, I don't want to m- make people feel like I've ignored those comments because a lot of people have commented that they think it's unfair. They have a right to feel that way. But as Iowa fans who have very little to do with the staff makeup, Don, I think you're you're a fan now. You're also you're a former coach, but you're a fan now. Um, we're rooting for Brian Ferentz to succeed, right? I mean, we, we don't want to see Brian Ferentz fail as an offensive coordinator, regardless of people think he's qualified or not. He's doing a terrible job. That's up to, you know, you can decide that as a fan. But, yeah. and same goes for Kirk. You're, you're rooting for these guys to succeed. And so, at this point, um, these guys are the, Brian is the offensive coordinator in 2022. Kirk Ferentz is the head coach in 2022. And Phil Parker's the DC in 2022. So, at this point, don't you just gotta, you know, give them all the support you can and, and hope that things get better on offense? Yeah, you do. And and Corey addressing the question, how can we move from uh, number number one twenty in a particular offensive category to maybe in the sixties or seventies? Uh, and we discussed this before, so it's nothing new that that you haven't heard before. Uh, simple advice I would um, give to the offensive staff is um, maybe. There's something to be learned from how we did things back in the 80s and 90s. And the reason I say that is because I heard from opposing coaches after the fact that one of the things that made us difficult to defend when we played Iowa, when the opponent played Iowa, is that it was difficult to to be able to predict what plays they were going to see. And the, the way I can explain it, Corey, as you already know, we game planned every week from week to week. And we had wrinkles in our offense from one week to the next. We always had new wrinkles in the offense. We were always coming up with new plays that we'd never run before. And what happens, of course, over a season, if you're trying to get ready for us in game 12, you really got a dilemma because you can't practice all the plays that we've run that year because there are too many. So as I see it, and I'm no expert because I don't, I'm not sitting in on the meetings at Iowa, but 
just as an observer, it appears to me one way we could help ourselves is to be able to expand the offense so we have more football plays that we have a handle on, more wrinkles to the offense. Uh, that makes you more difficult to defend. Imagine if you're playing against Iowa in game 12. I'm talking about one of Hayden Fry's offenses. Uh, there's so many plays to get ready for, and you're you're simply guessing as to which ones are going to show up on Saturday. And the problem you have is, and what you're not aware of, is maybe maybe the opponent back in game four runs a defense very similar to your defense in game 12. Well, lo and behold, one of the things we're going to do, we're going to go back and look at that game four offense and some of those plays we used two months ago, we're going to pull them out and use them again. We're going to shine them up. It's simply – it's not going to require a lot of practice time because the players are going to remember those plays after we remind them of them. And they're going to show up on Saturday, and we haven't run them in two months. So imagine that. What are the odds that they even practice the play once? Uh, probably slim and none. So that's one reason I think we were difficult to defend is we had a lot of plays in our playbook – and uh, it was difficult to predict when those plays were going to be used. They might practice plays that didn't get used at all, and yet other plays that we ran uh, with great success in the game, they didn't practice not even one snap. So I think that made it more difficult for people to play against us. I think that could help Iowa even now, is to have a, a more expanded playbook than what we already have. And Hopper says, too bad Don isn't still coaching. He is terrific. Um, Quite a compliment, and I can't disagree with that. Um, Thank you, Am. Todd says, Don mentioned that defensive backs need to have a short memory. It reminded me that is exactly the same for a golfer, etc. Good point. Absolutely love listening to Don. Todd says, please say yes to next year, Don. <laughs> um, appreciate all these kind comments, by the way. Um All right, let's see here. Uh, Todd says, Coach, when reviewing film, can it be slowed down to help players process exactly what's unfolding? Yes, it can. You can actually advance it one frame at a time even to give you an idea. Uh, and as you can imagine, uh, coaches get really adept at, at being able to run the play at the right speed. And um, I know sometimes our players used to count how many times we looked at that one play. It might it might be 10 different times, you know, you're just running it back and forth, back and forth, and you're making the point that needs to be made at that moment. And that's a teaching opportunity, of course. The fact that you hammer that point home off game film means we're less likely to make that mistake ever again. Uh, that's just part of good coaching. Brian wants you in on the meetings, Don. Uh, the man here says, Corey, have you and Coach ever met in person? We did. We had lunch uh when was that, Don? Was that in October? It was during the season, I know. I think we went to one uh, of my favorite Mexican restaurants. We did, and uh, I was I was in Iowa City for a, a, a medical checkup, and that was an enjoyable enjoyable lunch. And hopefully, we'll get a chance to do that again during the off season, Don. Um, Tell me if I'm wrong, Corey. I think the listeners might find it interesting. I believe I shared last year's Big Ten analytics with you that day. You did. You shared the whole book. You care to share with the listeners uh, what that was, what was like to be exposed to that? Well, it was. Uh, it, it gives you some insight into how much work it takes to uh, compile all that information. Because sometimes you look at people think of analytics as, oh, you know, the numbers and the stats. Analytics are not. 
that's they're much deeper than that, right? The parameters that are essential to victory. Um, and yeah, you've got them all. I mean, you've got, as I recall, you've got the Big Ten stats, and I'm sure you probably have them updated this year through this season. I think I looked at the ones from last year. Correct. But you had, of course, like the top, was it the top 15 parameters? Yes. And then like... Ongoing this fall. Every week I would update it after the games. And I would get an updated um, analytical report on what just happened last weekend. And of course, you had all the all the examples of teams. Um, let me let me try to think of the phrasing that you use. Is it the negative exception? Yeah. Or at, is that Positive the term? Positive negative use? exceptions. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we'd see a lot of teams. Certain teams continue to crop up as far as being negative um, examples, and certainly certain games that you know I was going to be an opportunity you look at you're going to look back as you're preparing for this coming season Don and looking back at the 2021 season and seeing Iowa overcoming a lot of these uh these parameters that you would think would normally for especially for a team like Iowa but they they found a way to to overcome them whereas Nebraska probably won a lot of the parameters and found a way to lose you're correct in terms of positive exceptions I'm sure we were toward the top of the conference in that in that all-important statistic and then negative exceptions, I would suspect that Nebraska would be near the bottom. Question here. So who potentially will be at center next year? Well, Matt Fagan, kid out of uh, Council Bluffs, I believe is a senior. And I've talked about this on a recent video over it from the Hawkeye of the Storm here on, on YouTube. Um, you know, I, I don't know that Fagan will be the starter. Remember, Kyler shot slid over at center during the bowl game, Don. Yeah. I don't know if that means Matt Fagan was hurt or if there's just not enough confidence in him. I've heard people, um, you know, again, this is just speculation. Could Michael Mislinski, the kid that uh, was part of the 21 class, could he end up being the future uh, at center? Regardless, it brings to mind something that you have said to me in the past, Don, as far as how Hayden Fry and, and your staff back in the 80s and 90s determined starters, and that is if an older player um, is competing with a younger player, that older player better be a lot better than the younger player because that younger player has upside and room to grow. So if there's, if there's any doubt, you're going to play the younger player, correct? That's true. And one of the things I always, as a head coach, I always said early in the season, Corey, we're getting ready to play game one, game two, game three. Of course, it's hot and humid in September. And I always reminded the coaches, I said, two weeks ago, you were agonizing over who's number one and who's number two. And you made that choice. That's fine. We know who the starters are now. But I don't want you to lose sight of that, that you were had a difficult time deciding who was better so, for God's sakes, give the backup a chance. It's entirely possible that he'll play better than the starter. And you've always heard that term gamer. There's a lot of truth to it. Some guys pl- respond better to the pressure of a game than others. And oftentimes, the backup will play better. And let's face it, it's a warm, hot day. And the starter needs relief, even if the backup doesn't play quite as well. You're still better off with a fresh backup in there playing than a really, really fatigued starter because the fatigue starter is going to get you beat. Absolutely. A question here from Yakov22. Coach, could Iowa get a Stetson Bennett-like effort and result out of one of their QBs, Don? The QB room is remaining, according to Chad Leistico, who apparently reached out to Alex Padilla's dad. It sounds like, at least for the spring, the quarterback room is going to stay intact. So Alex Padilla speculated possibly he would decide to move on. Sounds like he'll be back at least this spring. Spencer Petrus is no doubt coming back. We assume Joey Labas will be back. So those three guys will be competing for playing time. Don, you know I've been an advocate for, and I've been very outspoken about it, 
that I have thought throughout the past month that Iowa should have been pursuing somebody in the portal at quarterback. There were lots of options from Jaden Delora to Jackson Dart um, to, you know, Jared Dagey to the kid that just committed to Nebraska, Casey Thompson from Texas. Um, Iowa obviously chose not to pursue quarterback. That's their decision. I'm not saying I know more about the situation than they do, but that uh, just my opinion. I thought that's something they should have done. That obviously didn't happen. Um, the, the room looks like it's going to stay intact. So where do you see this room going? Obviously, you know, you're going to keep trying to grind and, and work at, at improving, but um, Alex Padilla, Petrus, is there a, is there a favorite in your mind for? I lost you, Corey there. Is there a favorite in your mind? And then you dropped off. Do you see that? Do you see there being a, a favorite? Is there a favorite in your mind as far as someone who you would guess is the starter next year? Or is this completely wide open heading into the spring? Well, based on the way this season played out, um, it would not surprise me. Right now, the guy that has to be a little bit discouraged with how the playing time's all shaken out is Alex Padilla. Um, yeah. There were times, of course, when Spencer was injured. There were times, of course, when Spencer in, in certain games didn't play as well as he needed to play. Um, Padilla went in in relief. I'll remind the listeners, I think sometimes we forget the most, on paper, the most impressive win we had all season involved Alex Padilla taking all the snaps. That was against Minnesota. Um, that might surprise the average fan because they might not remember that, but it's true. And I think at the very least, you brought it up, Corinne. I think you're right. There was a suggestion that Spencer Petrus was clearly the best quarterback on our team. And the, the game results would indicate that at the very least, that's debatable. The, the, the performance really wasn't very different from one to the next. Um, I know people that would defend Spencer would say Spencer had a better completion percentage and he has a great winning percentage, but let's not forget that our defense and our, and our kicking game has had a lot to do with our success. It's hard to quantify what kind of contribution did the defense make from game to game. The same could be said for specialty teams, but I think it's safe to say, I think even the, the biggest fan of our quarterbacks that are currently on the team would have to acknowledge you know, our offense hasn't been carrying its fair share of the load. And we've won in spite of offensive performance sometimes. So that's why we shouldn't be satisfied. Even if we did win 10 games, uh, let's just play what if. Well, think of it this way. Those three games we lost were all one-sided losses. None of them were one-score games. We weren't even in those games. So we're fortunate that we that we won um, 11 games, right? 11 and 3, was that our record? 10, 10 and 4. 10 and 4. What am I thinking? 10 and 4, yes. Because um, we lost the bowl game too, 10 and 4. So, yeah, we won 10 games, but we had no chance based on those other three games prior to the bowl game. We had no chance to win any of those three the way the game played out. So, uh, we won 10, but we were a long way from finding a way to win an 11th game. Uh, even in the bowl game, we didn't have the ball with the chance to win the game at the end. Uh, we didn't have that opportunity. They went ahead of us, and uh, I shouldn't say that we had a chance, but not a very good chance, obviously, because they scored late, and and we never even got into a realistic situation in which we could score the game-winning touchdown. Don, a question here from our listener. Kirk Ferentz is looking for a comment, I should say. He's looking for a game manager at quarterback. Game managers don't enter the portal. Well, that's not true, M. Finn. 
and I understand what you're alluding to, but there have been a number of guys who you, Jared Dagey from West Virginia is like the epitome of a game manager. Now, I think he would be an upgrade to what currently Iowa currently has. He'd be a one-year guy. He's still available, I believe. But again, Iowa's not interested. I mean, it's clear they're not interested. So um, what? how would you define that term? Do coaches use the term game manager? I don't know that coaches talk in those terms, but we certainly know what that term means. It means you don't you don't beat yourself. You protect the ball. Uh, you play safe. Uh, you don't take chances. But some of the best quarterbacks that I've ever seen were not afraid to take chances. You've heard me use the expression. What I like about him, he's not afraid to play. Not afraid to play the game. Uh, because if you don't if you don't have some boldness with your thoughts, you, then you're playing scared, you know, and you're playing not to lose. And playing not to lose uh, all but guarantees a loss. doesn't guarantee a loss, but it, it enhances your chances of losing. I'll say it that way. And, Don, I feel like – I feel like this is my opinion. You don't have to comment on this, but I feel like Spencer Petrus played a lot this year, played not to lose, and played scared. I've said that all year long. Uh, I did support him early because you got to give the kid who's starting your full support. But if you're looking at it from an ev- evaluation standpoint – I do believe that, that it seems to me that, that Spencer has played nervous and uncomfortable. And to me, that's why of, of the two receivers currently on the depth chart, I would give the nod to Alex Padilla because to me, Alex doesn't play scared. Now, I'm not saying he's got tremendous upside. I think he's limited in some respects, but he he does not play scared. But I wonder if that scares Kirk, the fact that Alex doesn't play scared. Maybe. We touched on this in earlier shows too, Corey. Um, and I, I went to great pains to be sure to explain our problems are not just solely at the at the feet of Spencer Petrus. Part of our problem is that we're not as good in pass protection as we'd like to be, and that creates a problem if you don't have a quarterback that's very mobile. Right. So the fact that a more mobile quarterback maybe gives you more escapability takes a little bit of pressure off the offensive line and your inability to protect very well. Uh, so – if you're overmatched, a good example would be the Michigan game. We were overmatched in that game in, in many ways. Number That number, uh, Hutchinson, whatever his number was, I can't remember, 97, I think, 94. I can't remember his number now, but Hutchinson, such a great player. And, of course, the other edge rusher was also a good player. Uh, so if you're playing against guys that are really difficult to block, you'd like to have more athleticism at the quarterback position simply because it gives you a chance to escape that pass rush and maybe still make something happen. That's a lot to ask, but obviously if you don't have a skill set to do that, it's not going to be an option for you. And in that regard, uh, the problem is not all at Spencer's feet. Uh, He's simply in position where he has to somehow deal with that fact that we can't protect very well. And obviously if if his feet can save the day, that's a good thing. Um, And I think it's safe to say that – that uh, Alex does have better escapability than, than Spencer. I don't think that's any secret. I think that's a, a true statement. Um, one other comment about, about transfer portal. I'll say it this way. Um, let's just use this in, as an example. Tight end. We have a tight end I'll put up against any tight end in college football. Number 84, Sam Laporte is an outstanding player. Imagine, and of course, that's a position where the backup does play a lot. And for that matter, we feel pretty good about Lachey, too. But here's my point. If we decided, I don't know who the best tight end would be available in the transfer portal. If we decided to take him at tight end, uh, the obvious question would be, 
on on Sam Laporta's mind would be, why are you interested in another tight end? Don't you feel good about the way I play? Because I'm I'm playing a high level of football for you. And for that matter, if you're Lachey, as the backup, you're thinking, now, wait a minute, why are we taking a transfer at tight end? Because last time I checked, I played pretty well as a backup too. Here's my point. Um, you don't take a transfer at a position where you feel really, really good about your players. A prime example would be linebacker. How do you think our linebackers would feel if we took a guy from the transfer portal at a linebacker? Uh, I'm talking about a guy that's – that projects like some of these quarterbacks you mentioned, guys that maybe project to be an all Big Ten quarterback. Well, if you if you project to be an all Big Ten tight end, we're probably not interested in you because we've already got one of those. Well, Donna, that's why I'm confused as to why Iowa's uh, recruiting Nathaniel Pete, the running back out of Stanford. Uh, he was uh, shared time with uh, another. I don't know who the other running back at, at Stanford was, but and I'm not saying that if Iowa were to get him, that that'd be a bad thing, but uh, I guess I'm looking at the depth chart and I'm seeing Gavin Williams and LaShawn Williams, who I thought both looked terrific um, in, in the bowl game. And I understand you have a couple unproven guys in Jazzy and Patterson and Caleb Johnson, but a strong class at running back, plus a kid from Des Moines and Devin Hilson who hasn't seen the field yet. But I'm just surprised that you'd go after the go to the portal. Maybe it's just a matter of they want to have three really solid backs. But I, I don't know if you saw that Iowa offered Nathaniel Pete. I did see that. You know, getting back to this quarterback situation, here's another way to ask it. Um, we've already established if, if Spencer played at a really high level this year, wouldn't we be less likely to take a quarterback? The answer is yes. If he was – He didn't. But he didn't. That's the point. I was simply going to ask it this way. To be honest with you, how many votes do you think Spencer got for all conference? And I'm not trying to beat up on Spencer. The reality is he didn't get many votes. I don't know. Maybe none. I have no idea. Sure. No, I but don't there, know. There are any number of quarterbacks in this league that would be placed on anybody's ballot above Spencer. I don't think that's any secret. I'm not, again, you know, Spencer. And it is, wasn't a strong year at quarterback, Don. It wasn't even a good year in the Big Ten at quarterback. Let's be frank. I mean, yeah. it was a down year at that position. So my point is simply this. At any position on our team, if you got what you would – classify as average or below average performance at that at that position wouldn't those be the positions where you're looking for help well but see, I've heard yes. people have responded to my speculation about iowa going to the portal at that position and said well it's a terrible idea because uh, you're going to lose you're going to lose all the guys who are on the roster now first of all don that's hogwash you and i both know that if iowa gets a portal quarterback that not all three guys are leaving. Now, maybe one of them will leave. But, Don, are we really going to operate under the fear that we might lose somebody that didn't play well to retain their job this year anyways? Are we really going to operate and not go to the portal because we're afraid of one of the guys who have underperformed leaving? That just doesn't make sense to me. And I'm not saying the coaching staff is doing that, but that's what some people have alluded to, uh, fans have alluded to in recent time. Yeah, the whole, whole idea is to upgrade your level of play at that position. Right. And if, if you, you can look at a, a transfer as a, uh, a decided upgrade at, at that position, then you're kind of foolish not to give him serious consideration. Paul says, if I was offering Stanford running back Pete, they need to go after the Oregon running back Travis Dye. Yeah, I, again, I don't know. I'm surprised they're going after a running back. But see, Don, they've been comfortable doing that. Kai Sargent was a transfer. James Butler from Nevada was a transfer. 
and I'm not saying that, that there's anything wrong. Those guys were great, but I think I, the, the perception that I get is that perhaps we're hesitant because we are afraid of what could happen. We, what, what could happen to our roster, how it might backfire. Let me bring up a couple examples of transfers that worked out. How about Brad Banks, Don? You think Brad Banks worked out at this level? I think he did okay. I think he did okay. I think Joe Burrow worked out okay. I think uh, Russell Wilson worked out okay. I mean, I can go down the list. Now, I know those are, you say those are outliers. Russell Wilson went to play for a developmental school at Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin hasn't had a history of producing ridiculously good quarterbacks, Don. He comes from NC State, and look what he, where he's at now. Here's another one. I believe Will Levis worked out okay, too. Absolutely, and if we're going <laughs> to deny that, we didn't watch the Citrus Bowl because, I, again, I was impressed. I thought Iowa's defense played well in that game, but he made enough plays to win that game. So, listen, I, I understand. I think the ship has sailed in Iowa getting a transfer portal quarterback. Now, Don, I'll put you on the spot. If Alex Padilla or Spencer Petras were to leave after spring, which I doubt will happen, but if there's a clear-cut favorite after spring ball and one of them enters the portal, would Iowa then go to the portal to see what's left? I would hope so. And I'm, right now, a, a pessimist would say, well, there's not very many good quarterbacks even available right now. Well, let's not forget that there's going to be a few more to make themselves available after spring ball. Somebody that's in a quarterback battle, and maybe they feel like they've lost the upper edge, uh, lost the lead in, in that challenge for that position. And at that point, of course, they may move on. Um, and of course, that might be a one or two year solution. But the bottom line, the future is now. You know, we got to try to figure out a way to pull it off next fall, win big next fall. We can't afford just to look long term. You know, every year it's got to be the recognition. You got to have a huge uh, sense of urgency to be able to win in the immediate season that's up upcoming. And a question here: uh, Does Iowa have any help at wide receiver arriving? Well, they have looked. At, my understanding is they have looked in the portal at receiver. Nothing that that has been substantial that has any legs that that I've heard. The, the only transfers that I've heard that have had legs, so to speak, as far as Iowa recruiting them, would be Hunter Norzad, who has Iowa in his top five. He's an offensive lineman from Cornell. Um, I believe he just visited Illinois. He'll be visiting Penn State, Virginia Tech, and I believe one other school before Iowa or along with Iowa. Um, and then the kid I just mentioned, Nate Pete from uh, Stanford. So wide receiver, we'll see. They do have Jacob Bostic, freshman out of uh, Illinois, coming in uh, next year. And, and Don, as, as we've seen this year, it is possible for a freshman receiver to see the field early. So yeah. if Bostic comes in and impresses, he could, he could play. I will mention this to you, too. There was a commitment here recently at wide receiver that impressed me a lot his name's charlie jones yeah i knew you're gonna bring that up <laughs> yeah so i'm just really excited about charlie coming back i think he can have an outstanding senior year and of course he brings so much to our return game so i'm excited about him coming back because he didn't have to he chose to i would yeah. be even more surprised if they went to the portal at wide receiver than running back i'm surprised they're going there at running back anyways but with charlie jones nico Regani, arlen bruce keegan johnson all those guys there, and then again, you bring in a guy like Bostic. You have a, um, a couple guys behind them on scholarship. I would just be surprised if they do any work at the portal at wide receiver. Now, I know Justin brought up Jackson Dart. I know he just visited what Ole Miss. He's not coming here. <laughs> He's a dual threat. I know Iowa State was recruiting him hard at a high school. Um, 
Fast Outdoor Food says, how is it that Padilla appears to look for receivers? Petrus typically throws to the tight end. Does this hurt Iowa recruiting wide receivers? I think it has to, Don. That's one of my big points on um, my kind of early preview for next year. And I guess we can kind of turn to that to end our show. Uh, I've got four uh, big takeaways. Looking just, again, not only the eye test, but looking through the final stats. So let me read the final stats, and I'll tell you, um, how much these rankings fluctuated based on the bowl game, specifically Iowa's game with Kentucky. So Iowa finished total offense. Uh, let me well, let me make sure I've got this correct because I don't want to give you the wrong the wrong information. And of course, I I have the wrong information. So give me just a second here, Don. The uh, previous total offensive number. All right, let me pull it. I've got it here. So this is with all games posted. This is with all games posted, correct. And I just updated that this evening. And for some reason, I know this number that I have written down is not correct. So total offensive rank. Now, keep in mind, folks, there are 130 teams in the FBS. Iowa ranks at 121. 121 in total offense. Now, Don, I had somebody tell me that that's because Iowa plays with shortened fields as a result of special teams and defense. Let me use the term again, Don. That's hogwash. You can't tell me that that Iowa is ranked 121 and they're and, and it's not because of a lack of production. That's a small part of it. I'll say very, it that very way. small. Yeah, we've we've generated more turnovers than the average team. We've given more short fields to our offense than the average team, but it's not by some huge number either. Uh, we've generated what 29 or 30 turnovers for the season. So that's a little more than two per game. And even then, of course, some of them were backed up when we when we gained the turnover. They don't all happen on the other end of the field, unfortunately. Don, we did move up uh, two spots because it was 123 before the bowl game. So we're up to 121. So we're moving in the right direction. <laughs> uh, even after a somewhat dismal performance offensively in the bowl game, uh, they did produce enough yardage to move up. So rushing offense, Iowa is 102nd, which is nine better than they were before the bowl game. And give Iowa credit there. They ran the ball well. I thought the line performed better in that Citrus Bowl. I thought Gavin and LaShawn, frankly, those guys didn't miss a beat with Tyler Goodson out, Don. I think the running back room is in good shape heading into next year. They gave a good account of themselves, no doubt about it. Um, Passing offense, Iowa 109th, which is uh, up two spots from their previous rank. Passing efficiency, they stayed put at 117th. Third down percentage, 110th. They went down a a ranking spot. Fourth down percentage, 125th out of 130. Fourth down percentage is 125 out of 130. They went down four spots after the bowl game. Red zone offense, 122. 122nd out of 130 teams. That's down a spot from before the bowl game. First downs, 104 out of 130 sacks allowed. They actually helped their cause a lot in this category, Don. They went up 19 spots based on that game. And, of course, maybe 67 or something then. 68. 68. You surprised I I knew that, weren't you? You remember the stats. I remember that was the best stat we had before the bowl game even. So 68 is not terrible. Now, it should be better. That's still not great. But that tells you something. That line – protected the quarterbacks in the bowl game. I, I hate people who make excuses for quarterback play by saying, well, the line was terrible all year. 
it wasn't terrible in the bowl game, Don. They ran the ball well, and they protected the quarterback well. Yeah, and we weren't under duress much at all as a quarterback in that game. So I don't want to hear that. That Again, I use the term again. That's hogwash. Those are legitimate numbers. Now, going back to our question here, and, and we're going to end the show on this, I'm going to give you four categories, and I want you to tell me how these things can be improved. And, and give the benefit of the doubt to the coaching staff that they're doing this. But first of all, red zone efficiency Again, Iowa is 122nd out of 130 teams. How does Iowa go about fixing its red zone issues? I think it all starts with uh, with uh, better, more efficient uh, game planning. And I say that, you've heard me say before, Corey, but it really is true. To do it the right way, I know how we used to do it at UConn, and this is the way we did it at Iowa too. We would sit down as an offensive staff, and we would have all the red zone snaps on, on the opposing defense, all the red zone snaps, and we would walk the ball down. In other words, all the snaps from the 20-yard line would come first, regardless of how many games are in in the the video. Uh, And then the 19, the 18, the 17, the 16. And, of course, you have a printout of that. What you're seeing on video, you have a a printout of those same snaps uh, to, to record what actually happened in terms of defensive calls. And the bottom line, uh, you can you can if you really make a good judgment, you can decide here's where their philosophy changes. Just for the sake of argument, maybe they they're a zone team from the plus twenty all the way down to the plus ten. But once you hit the ten yard line, their philo- philosophy seems to change. At that point, they seem to be more interested in trying to attack you and pressure you, and maybe get a sack and put you out of field goal range, something along those lines, or maybe they just recognize. We can't just keep playing vanilla as they get closer to our goal line. We've got to take chances because whether we take chances or not, they're going to score because the, our backs are against the goal line. <clears throat> so the bottom line is you try to figure out when does their mentality change? Every defensive coordinator has his own way of operating. You know, you've heard it said, and it's really true. A man is uh, – um, he tends to do the same thing over and over again, especially if he's under pressure – so you just need to get in his head and try to figure out try to figure out what his approach is going to be with you. Another part of making that judgment as to how they're going to play you, the obvious question, if they had a change in philosophy one week earlier, the obvious question is when they changed their philosophy, did it pay off or not? Well, if they changed their philosophy, they decided to pressure you and they got burned, I'm pretty sure they're not going to pressure you because that didn't work last weekend. So we're going to see whatever they did two or three weeks ago, we're going to see them revert to that because the grand experiment didn't work last Saturday. So my point is you got to really study it with a fine-tooth comb. And the bottom line, as soon as you get through looking at all those snaps and making those judgments as to how they're going to play against you, right then you shut the machine off and you start game planning, not just red zone plays. You talk about red zone plays from the plus 20 maybe to the plus 12, depending on when their defensive philosophy changes. The next zone would be from the plus 11 to the plus six, maybe. And then you've got a third or even a fourth zone, plus five to plus three, and then plus two and plus one. So you got to know when their philosophy changes. And the point is you got to spend a lot of time thinking about it. And then once you zero in on the plays, and again, it's not one person's work. It's the entire staff working together. Once you've done all that, and that meeting might take you two or three hours to do, all you've really done is zero in on red zone scoring success. But the bottom line, when the game rolls around, you have an idea what you're going to call in all those situations because you've got them all documented and it's all out there in front of you. And that's one reason, 
you see NFL coaches with a big piece of laminated board to look at because it takes room to write all this stuff down. And uh, frankly, uh, I think if a coach doesn't have a good sized board that he's referencing, I wonder that the plan might not be as good as it needs to be. And that's just as honest as I can be. So the bottom line, better game planning than what we've been doing, a better plan from one week to the next. Uh, and, and obviously, once you decide on these plays, you got to practice them. And if you're not very good in the red zone, you better dedicate more practice time to it. Maybe you've been giving it 10 minutes on Tuesday and 10 minutes on Wednesday. And maybe the next week you're saying, we got to spend more time on it because we got to be more efficient in the red zone. So maybe that 10-minute period goes to 15 minutes on each of those days, and now you picked up an extra 10 minutes to practice the red zone. The point is, when you get down there, you better know what the hell you're doing. And uh, pardon my French, but that's just as honest as I can be. Uh, and then, of course, when it's successful, success breeds success. Now, the fact that we were successful with red zone offense this Saturday means we have a better chance to be set, uh, be uh, performing at a high level the next Saturday. And uh, that's what you're looking for, of course, is is touchdowns, not field goals. Field goals that get you beat. So often, field goals that get you beat. It happens all the time. It even happened in the national championship game. Uh, Georgia was down there three times and had 15 points for their three trips to the red zone. Alabama was there five times and still only had 15 points to show. They fell twice. So what happened in the SEC championship game flipped exactly opposite. This time, Georgia won the red zone five points per opportunity versus three. And, and five weeks earlier, it was the other way around. It was five points per opportunity for Alabama versus only three for Georgia. The shoe was on the other foot. Yeah, the, the, you you hit the nail on the head, and and obviously third down efficiency is another one, 110th out of 130 teams, Don. So, okay. How, first of all, before we move, before we do that, I want to give people context. The red zone stat, because I had somebody comment in here. How many? Uh, where is the question? So somebody asked the question. How many of the schools ranked below us in these categories retained their offensive coordinator? I don't have an answer to that question, Don, but just to give people context of who is ranked below Iowa, because there's not many. Again, um, Iowa is ranked 122nd out of 130 FBS teams. So to put that in perspective, um, the only teams that rank worse than Iowa, I'll read these off, Don, Duke, Tulane, Central, or excuse me, Southern Miss, Akron, UMass, Northwestern, Florida International, and New Mexico. A few teams that rank ahead of Iowa, Kansas, Rice, South Alabama, Arizona, Yukon. To my knowledge, not a single one of those teams was a bowl team. UConn, or excuse me, Arizona might have been the worst Power 5 team in the country. And UConn, UConn, if they were a Power 5 team, would probably take the cake on that one as well. Yeah, you're right. To my knowledge, not a single one of those teams made a bowl. Yeah, I don't have the answer to that question about how many of those teams retain their OC. But my point is that that's something that definitely needs improvement. Now, something else that needs improvement is third down efficiency. Um, again, Iowa ranked 110th out of 130 FBS teams. So there's not much room to go to get worse from there, Don. You got to go up, I would assume. How do you get better in third down efficiency? Well, one thing you got to do is you got to do a better job of staying ahead of the chains. You know, one key to being good on third down is having a lot of third and short. Because obviously you got a better chance, you should have a better chance to convert them third and short than third and medium or third and long. Uh, part of our problem is too many third and longs. Uh, you know, not enough 
efficiency on first and second down. So let's try to be more efficient on first and second down. That doesn't mean we have to just simply run the ball better. Nothing wrong with throwing the ball on first and second down, especially if you have a chance to make a big play. And if that's not open, then you can dump the ball down to another receiver and still pick up positive yardage. And let's face it, you know, dumping the ball down on first down and gaining five, that's a good play. We'd be happy with a five-yard run. Why should we look down our nose at a pass for five yards on first down? Once again, you're ahead of the chains. So let's be better on first and second down, and then let's be specific on third down. You better have a really good package of pass plays available to you on third down, and it gets back to coaching again. You heard me talk about a different receiver progression on third and long. Remember we talked about looking deep, looking intermediate, looking short, and then looking for a backside receiver? Third and long, don't look for that short guy because he's going to make you punt. You know, let's go ahead and look deep, look intermediate, and then let's go backside. Eliminate the short throw because it's going to it's going to result in another failure. And too often we saw our uh, our quarterbacks sometimes under pressure and didn't have much of a choice, but sometimes, frankly, they didn't hang in there long enough to wait for one of those deeper routes because that short route was still going to force a punt. That's exactly what a lot of teams want you to do. They want to give you a chance to throw the ball deep, throw the ball short rather, and then react up and tackle you and force you to punt. And that's what our defense does well. Well, the key, of course, is you got to be mentally tough enough to hang in there and wait for a bigger play because you need a bigger play. Uh, And that's especially true, of course, if it's in the stages of the game where you have to find a way to come from behind and win the game. Does a dual threat quarterback help in converting third downs? Absolutely. Absolutely. A prime example comes to mind for me. Um, It was the backup from Nebraska that played against us. Um, I remember vividly they had third down and 12 or third down and 10 and gained 12 on a QB draw. They emptied the backfield and or maybe they had one back in the backfield. But even if he was in the backfield, he was simply a lead blocker. But I do remember vividly they they ran Q draw against us, even though it was third and extra long. And still got the first down. Don, did we run QB draw once with Alex Padilla? One time, and I can recall, it was a touchdown. Remember that? Colorado State, I think. With, no, no, with Padilla. Oh, with Padilla. No, to my knowledge, we never did. That's odd to me. Um, very, very odd to me that you would not run QB draw with your mobile quarterback, but more mobile of the two quarterbacks. Um all right, rushing offense, 102 out of 130. Obviously, this starts up front. I understand that, Don. I think we've got good backs on the field. Hopefully, one of these backs can emerge and be a an all-Big Ten type back like Goodson was. But let's be honest, Goodson was – I don't want to dog on Goodson because he was not He was a first-team all-Big Ten back last year, Don. But let's be honest, uh, size-wise, Tyler wasn't able to – do everything that a Sean Green, who was obviously a first-team All-Big Ten back, was able to do. He wasn't that tweener back that typically has success in the Big Ten. Right. Uh, I, I want to not take anything away from Tyler, but I will point out there were three different running backs that had first-team honors. So that to me, that 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 waters it down a little bit. They don't have three quarterbacks named first-team, but they did allow three backs to be named. Uh, the other thing to be aware of, of course, and, and Tyler was a, a tough uh, – gritty player but still if he's having having to go up against a 240 pound linebacker as a pass protector that's a problem we saw that any number of times and Tyler wasn't lacking for courage it was simply a physical mismatch because he just simply wasn't very big 
to be able to try to block a guy like that. And that's where the bigger back can help you a little bit more. Uh, you know, a back that comes to mind for me that I have great respect for, and this will this will uh, surprise some fans that, that I might mention him as a in such a positive light because he played for Iowa State. His name's David Montgomery. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of respect for that guy because even with the Bears, he had a lot of yards after contact. That's what gives me hope with Gavin Johnson, uh, and for that matter, with Lashawn too. I saw I saw a good determined runner. I saw yards after contact, what we call the hard yards. Uh, I saw that. I'll admit uh, I was a little bit disappointed to hear that supposedly Kentucky was playing with any number of backups in our game. I don't know what their roster was for the game. Maybe they did have guys out that we weren't aware of. Uh, so maybe that wasn't the best Kentucky lineup. I don't know. But I do know this. Our backs ran hard in that game, and they picked up extra yards, and that's encouraging. And I think part of our success that day is tied into those uh, those offensive linemen getting better over time. Uh, I think they did play better than they played in game 11, 12, and 13. I think they did play better in game 14. And I thought LaShawn Williams looked almost – I know it's just a glimpse, but perhaps LaShawn Williams is someone who can – be that tweener type of back that Iowa needs that can bust a run, but can also, he, he showed he can lower his shoulder pads and bust through a tackler. So yeah, um, I was impressed with both Gavin Williams and LaShawn Williams. And I think we would agree on that, Don. Um, Absolutely. And just to put this into context, I know we have a call here that we're going to take, but um, I'm looking through the rushing offense numbers um, on uh, the rankings. There, there were, there are some teams that rank below Iowa in the big 10 in rushing offense. Purdue is one. But, Don, as you know, Purdue has a dynamic uh, pass offense. Um, another team that's on this list is Indiana. They finished 2-10, and 10, I believe, winless in the Big Ten. Um, and the only other Big Ten team, this one surprises me, that's on here is Penn State. But they finished 7-6. and six. So, you know, again, I'm surprised by that, actually. But but Iowa's over, trying to overcome – we're looking at all these numbers. Again, red zone efficiency – rushing offense, passing efficiency, all these numbers, these are hard to overcome, Don. And Iowa found a way to do it and be and get to 10 wins. That's why I keep saying they're not going to be able to get to 10 wins next year doing this. That's just my opinion. I don't see any way on earth that you have these types of offensive numbers next year and Iowa finds a way to, to, to get to 10 wins. I just don't think – I don't see it happening. Well, here's the reality, too. The reason some of the offensive rankings are um, not so well-known is simply because our defense performs at a high level. As you know, in analytics, I don't, I don't look with, uh, I don't, I don't really care about the winning percentages if you run for 200 yards. I want to know what are the winning percentages if you outrush your opponent by 100 yards, and for that matter, if you outrush your opponent by 50 yards, how much does that percentage drop? Because let's face it, if you outrush by 100 yards, you're going to win the game about 90% of the time. Uh, versus 50 yards, you may only win the game 70% of the time. Uh, but let's face it, if we outrushed our opponent this fall, in large part it was because the defense did a good job of slowing down the other team. Let's get to our next caller. Thank you for calling Iowa at the Voice of College Football. Who's on the line? Now, this is Pat from Minnesota, hey, Pat. and I also was very impressed with the running backs. I'm glad you guys covered that uh, at, in the bowl game. Uh, one of the things I really appreciate about your show, Corey, is uh, the analytics that uh, the coach gets into. I love to hear the analytics, and it just reminds me, I think Bill Snyder was really big on that, wasn't he? I worked for Bill any number of years uh, on analytics when he went to Kansas State. Yeah, I remember State. that. Yeah, and uh, 
uh, a great football coach. Uh, I've, I've always, when I spoke at a clinic through all these years, I always gave credit not to one coach. Everybody would expect me to give credit to Coach Fry for my development as a coach, but I also gave credit to Bill Snyder because he had everything to do with my development. Uh, I think, especially from a strategic standpoint, I think Coach Fry helped me more in terms of motivation because that was something he was second to none at, at and I was able to tell Coach Fry some of those motivational stories he told at Iowa. I took him to Western Illinois, and they still worked. And uh, they had a lot to do with our success, I think, is being able to push all the right buttons before you have to go play a team like LSU. You can imagine uh, that that's a, a challenge to get guys ready to play against such a formidable opponent. And um, But Bill was a great uh, – he was ahead of his time in terms of strategy. I'll give you a specific example. When we first got to Iowa – Bill said, Donnie, I want you to put on your thinking cap here. I want you to think of every conceivable report you would want on an opposing defense. And I did. I, I made a big, long list of, of different types of uh, reports I would want on a def an opposing defense. And then we took that those parameters, we took that to the computer, um, the computer people on campus. And back in those days, it wasn't quite as um, – refined as it is nowadays, I think. And those poor guys, they spent a lot of time writing a computer program that would be able to accomplish all this that we ask it to do. And it took forever to get all the bugs out. But I do remember this, which I think you'll find interesting. I remember that first year we got a report on Penn State and the report, the computer report was more than a thousand pages. The only problem is I got that report and started looking at it about Tuesday at about 10 o'clock at night. And as you can imagine, it took a few hours to get through that report. And and the reason that it took a long time, you had to sort through all that information. That's a ton of information, way more information than the team needs. So the challenge, of course, is to boil it all down into maybe a page and a half typewritten information. And that's exactly what we used to call it. I call it significant tendencies. And the players knew this is information on the opposing defense and I told them this, and it's the truth. I said, I will guarantee you the opposing defensive coordinator does not even know all that I'm about to tell you about their defense. We know more about their defense than they know. And, uh, and of course, you can imagine that players would say that is a great advantage going into a game. And I'll give you a specific example again, talking about how, how it all fit together. Um, this is just what else, but let's imagine this. Imagine in third down and long, the chances of getting what they call cover two, two deep zone coverage. Let's imagine third and long, the percentages for cover two, the number one coverage, it's 50% of the time. Half the time they play cover two. But now let's go a step further. What about third down and long? What about in plus territory? Now those two parameters in combination, now that 50% figure for overall third and long, when you factor in plus territory, that percentage goes up to 70%. So think about this, third and long in plus territory, it's up to 70%. And now let's throw in one more parameter. What about third and long plus territory and the ball in the middle of the field versus on the hash mark? And at that point, it's 100%. And that's why sometimes Coach Fry said, how did you know that was going to be 100%? And I said, Coach, it's because it has been 100%. And not even the defensive coordinator knows that because – it's, it's such a refined report, they don't even know it. And, of course, that's a big advantage. If the ball happens to be in the middle of the field plus territory, third down and long, I'm able to say with confidence to Coach Fry, Coach, it's going to be covered too. 
let's call a play for cover two because that's what it's going to be. And he might say, how did you know that? And I said, the computer told me. And um, and that's why when you start working in combinations, as you know, Corey, part of the report that's so amazing is you factor in what if you win parameters A and B? That's how you sometimes get a percentage of 100%. And if you if you win both A and B and the percentages in the past are 100%, I'm pretty sure that gives you a great chance to win that football game because, as we say, numbers don't lie. Numbers typically do not lie. Maybe that's a long answer, but that gives Hopefully you an I, idea. No, no, no. I, I really appreciate it. Love it, love it. I I, uh, I, I I, would imagine our coaching staff still does that today. At least I hope they do, but, of course, I have no way of knowing. But uh, I remember Hayden one time in a meeting saying that he – was really proud of his gang because of all of the detailed work that went on, with, you know, behind the lines. So, thanks for going over that, Coach. Really appreciate it. My thanks, pleasure. Matt. Appreciate the call. And uh, yeah, good question. And th- this is a, a good question then from uh, our Buckeye fan. Iowa has the toughest schedule in, in the Big Ten for 2022. At least seven hard games. So I said that Iowa's not winning ten games next year with this offense. It's just not happening. Um, now, I'm not mortgaging my house on it, Don, but I don't see any way that happens. So Fast Outdoor Food says, then what does Iowa do to get to 10 wins next year with their offense? Well, very simple. They fix the offense, Don. Um, that's easier said than done, but you've given some pretty um, straightforward um, methods and, and and specifics that, that Iowa can work on this this spring and certainly into the into fall camp and, and some of this is strength and conditioning we're talking about pass blocking I mean right some of these things aren't going to be fixed midseason but you better darn well get in the weight room as an offensive lineman and work on strength and conditioning this coming summer Don and let's keep in mind Iowa's head coach is an offensive line coach so if the offensive line issues Everybody keeps talking about how Iowa needs to go to the portal at offensive line. And I know you talked about that, Don, and I don't disagree with you, um, but I like the personnel Iowa has there. Wouldn't we think that that Kirk Ferentz being an offensive line coach, that's the one position we can have confidence that Iowa should be able to figure out? Although it is true, if you look at the stats, Iowa has never been really dominant, very rarely have been dominant on the ground. Wouldn't you still think that the offensive line is something that Iowa can figure out with the personnel they have on board? I do think this because of Kirk being here, uh, and I like our new offensive line coach too. I think those two men working in conjunction with each other, and let's not forget that Brian knows a lot about offensive line play too. Kind of hard to imagine that our guys won't develop very, very well over the next year. Uh, They're going to learn what to do. They're going to be able to refine their technique, Uh, and I think that gives us a chance to show significant improvement in our O-line. But I think as far as changing our numbers, I've already mentioned about expanding the offense so that we're not quite so easy to defend. Uh, That might surprise people, but I honestly believe that will help us. And I say that because I got feedback years ago that that made us more difficult to defend, the fact that we had um, a pretty thick playbook. Um, So, And people to those people that say, well, how can the players run all these plays? Again, you don't have them all available from any particular – for any particular game, you zero in on the plays that are most appropriate to be used that weekend, and those are the ones that you practice. And in that regard, you're ready to play. Um, beyond that, the other thing that comes to mind, Corey, you've heard me touch on, you need to have an aggressive mindset in terms of play calling. Uh, and that simply means try to try to call some plays, try to engineer some plays that are going to give you big returns. Um, 
I didn't see Michigan apologizing to us for running four trick plays against us. Those four plays were worth 159 yards. And and by the way, without those explosive plays, it wouldn't have been nearly as one-sided as it was. Uh, so that's a simple example that comes to mind. Um, you know, go ahead and take some shots down the field. You know, take calculated uh, attempts down the field, but – but for God's sakes, try. I'll never forget Coach Fry in year one against Indiana, our first game at Iowa. He said, now, Bill, I know Lee Corso, and I will guarantee you Lee Corso is going to throw the ball deep half a dozen times. Another coach, incidentally, that used to do that years ago that everybody knows about is a guy named Bobby Bowden at Florida State. They were going to air it out. They're going to test you deep. And Indiana had a really good receiver named Dwayne Gunn. And uh, – they may only hit on two of those deep throws, but those two deep throws are worth a hundred yards. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so they took shots and you better be ready to defend them. It's kind of hard to make big plays if you don't try to make them. So, uh, and it doesn't have to involve a long throw. I'll give you a simple example. One that, I, that, you know, I love, and I know you remember it well too. What about a screen pass to the tight end? That's a good play. And that's a low percentage risk play. You know, let's get the ball to Laporta, who doesn't like to get tackled anyway. And now let's put some big, ugly linemen in front of him. And I think we ran it three times, and it was a very positive play in all three cases. That's just a simple example that comes to mind. But there are other plays. Uh, and a, a, here's a simple example. What about a reverse? Calling a reverse is a good idea. But obviously you call it when you think the pursuit of the defense is really, really strong. That's the best time to fool them with a the reverse. But here's the reality. Even if it only goes for three yards, you've reminded those guys, don't pursue quite so hard because we may hit you with the reverse. So you're going to slow down the pursuit. Even if you only gain three yards on the reverse, it still has some positive effect because it slows down the pursuit. Absolutely. Those are a couple of examples that come to mind. No, those are great. Uh, we do have a call here. But before we get to our call, I just want to let you know, uh, first of all, Don, Patrick Mahomes is up to 337 passing yards now with five touchdowns. So since we talked last about this game now, big Ben Roethlisberger, this is likely his final game right. as a Steeler. Um, little tribute to him real quick, but please tell me I'm he's not, not having a bad game. Uh, well, guess, guess how many yards per attempt he's stuck at right now? Oh boy. 4.0. 1.5, Don. Wow. He is 6 of 15 for 23 yards and uh, has a passer rating of uh, 47.9. I hate for this to be his last game because I, I have a lot of respect for him. A lot of time left. Still got almost two quarters left. So they're down four touchdowns. But, boy, they've gotten – right now the Chiefs have had 21 first, down, first downs to the Steelers' two. So let's get uh, let's get to our next call here. Thank you for calling Iowa with the Voice of College Football. You are our final caller for the evening. Who's on the line? Hey, Corey. Hey, Don. It's the real MVP. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. So one of the stats I was curious that I didn't hear you talk about, Corey, and I think it's going to be important because I think I was going to be in a lot of close games next year. It's the last two minutes of the first half and the first few minutes of the next half. Do you have those stats? Don, do you have anything to flush flush those metrics out? Yeah, um, I don't have it in front of me. I don't have it with me. But uh, just to give you an idea of the way the reports evolved, 
one of the things a few years ago, uh, I mentioned to Kirk, I said, uh, go ahead and give me some feedback here. I want you to challenge me in a, a, other areas other than what I'm already reporting on. And, um, and Kirk said, well, um, Brian worked with Belichick, so do me a favor and check with Brian also about any ideas he might have to expand the report. And so I did check with Brian, and Brian said, I am curious about a couple of things. He said, here's what Belichick used to say. Belichick said when, um, when Brian was with him, if we were up by 14 points at any point in the game, we should win the game every time. The stats should reflect that. And, and Brian simply asked the question, does that hold up in the Big Ten? The answer is no, it doesn't. It doesn't for a couple of reasons. You've already heard me say a, an NFL game maybe has one or two less possessions per game than a college game, so there are less opportunities to catch up. And then beyond that, let's not forget that the Patriots were always above average on defense. So if they had a 14-point lead, the odds were they were going to maintain that lead or even expand it. Uh, so um, – that applied to the New England Patriots. It didn't even apply to the entire NFL, and it certainly didn't apply to the Big Ten. So that question was answered in a negative sense. No, that doesn't guarantee a win. There are any number of games every year uh, where a Big Ten team loses a lead that's bigger than 14 points. Matter of fact, we were one of those teams, I believe, a year or two ago. I think we were up by 17 and managed to lose one of those games. I believe it was the Northwestern game, as I recall. Correct. That sound right? So right. that one didn't hold up. So the next question was um, relating to what your question is, Darrell. Um, Brian asked the question: What if we score on our last possession of the first half and our first possession of the second half? Does that guarantee a win? And I, I've actually in, uh, studied that and, and and tried to see if that guaranteed a win too. The answer is no, it doesn't. Uh, maybe it did for the New England Patriots, but. Not so much in the Big Ten again. In most cases, it does guarantee a win. I do think there's a lot to be said for finishing the first half with momentum and for starting the second half with momentum. I do know that that Lou Holtz used to say the most important 20 minutes in a game are the first five of the game, the last five of the first half, the first five of the second half, and then the last five at the end of the game. And there's a lot of argument that you, if you win those 20 minutes, you probably do so often win the game. Um, and Corey, I know something you're going to probably jump on is the way we finish first halves. Uh, I do think we can can find a way maybe to take advantage of that last uh, that last possession of the first half and maybe produce more points. And that just relates to how we execute two minute offense, how we utilize our timeouts at the end of the half. Uh, you know how we manage the clock. Those are areas where we can improve if we can find a way to score. At the end of the half, I do think it does give you some momentum uh, into halftime and maybe give you some momentum, some momentum coming out of the second half, too. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure if you guys – I heard you guys mention the Steelers-Chiefs game. The last few minutes of the first half of the Chiefs game and then the all five of their touchdowns were scored within that 10-minute window. So, and just from where I've, as a casual fan, I don't have the stats, but it seems like those are the most important times in a game. And especially if you're going to be in a bunch of tight games, it would make sense to try to steal a possession if you know the way the coin toss is going. No, you're absolutely right. And and I'll, I will be producing content on that this offseason because I, I just, I, I don't know how I was, 
Iowa's clock management has to get better. That's what I'll say. I'll just I'll be kind about it. It's just not good. Game management, clock management, late in halves, late in games. You're absolutely right. There is a big impact, and I, I it's got to get better. That's one of the many things on offense that uh, has to get better this offseason. And um, my next question is, your guys' Iowa schedule next year is a it's it's a challenge. It really is a challenge compared to this year's schedule. So how would you sell it to – because how would you phrase it to your players? Because odds are Iowa's – it's going to be real hard for them to get 10 wins. So how would you sell that to the team? I'd simply start off, it's a, a great opportunity to accomplish things that a lot of people will be skeptical that we can do. Uh, you know, when you play against a quality opponent, it's an opportunity to – Make a statement about how you can play. It's an opportunity to fool the experts. Let's face it, you got a psycholo- psychological advantage because if the other team is favored or heavily favored to win the game, then you're catching them at a good time because maybe they are a little bit over – foolishly, they're a little bit overconfident going into the game. Um, you know, the coaches, if you're, if you're on the side of that favored team, the coaches work long and hard to be sure that the, that the players understand – these guys are trying to win this game too. You know, maybe Las Vegas doesn't think they have much of a chance, but but you better not you better not assume that the opposing players are discouraged just by reading what the experts say. They're you know they're determined to make make liars out of those experts. And um, you know who doesn't respond to a challenge like that? You know to be able to knock off a team that you're not supposed to play. A good example for me years ago was. Western Illinois at LSU, you know, we weren't supposed to have any chance to win that game. Well, those players were excited about playing that football game because it was the ultimate challenge and and they responded in the right way. Otherwise we would have been blown out of the stadium, but it didn't happen because our guys weren't going to allow it to happen. Uh, so, you know, we're going to be a decided underdog a few times next fall, I would assume. Uh, those are opportunities to make liars out of all those experts uh, but you better have your chin strap on nice and tight because it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a, a, a war of will. And, um, you know, the team that that uh, refuses to surrender is the team that always has a chance. That's very well put, Don. That's, that's a good motivation speech right there. Don's good with those. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I wasn't expecting all that. Uh, it was a great answer to the question. But like, so I'm not Corey. Have you looked at the Iowa schedule yet? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I've looked at Iowa's schedule. Yes, I know. At Ohio State, so- home against Michigan. Uh, let's see what at Rutgers, but then of course they get uh, Wisconsin, and yeah, no, it's the toughest. But but as I've said on my, yeah. I said it on my show or a, a video that I produced about a week ago. There's other teams. I think there's going to be. I think there's a very small. I think there's a very small chance Iowa wins the West next year, but it's not as. I think there's a better chance, Don, they win the West than they get to ten games in the regular season. I could see them. I could see a team winning the West at nine and three, because Minnesota's got a tough uh, crossover schedule. Wisconsin's got a tough crossover schedule. Purdue probably has the most favorable crossover schedule, but even theirs is difficult. The West was not the, – the, it seems like the, the contenders from each division were matched up with one another. So – and that's probably the way it should be. That's probably – I mean, 
Yeah. You know, it, it should make the conferences as, as far as final records more balanced. Yeah. Next Contributes week, to parity maybe within the league. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, if we're going to be completely honest, the, the East is generally harder than the West. Oh, absolutely. So it yeah. would make sense for the East to have an uphill advantage, but they've got a, I think they got a three game stretch where I was got, a, they get a bye and then they go to add Iowa and they're home against Minnesota and Wisconsin. That's going to be a key stretch in the schedule, in my opinion, to yeah. see how they do for the whole year. Those are, I mean, they could lose all three of those games. Yeah, they also go to. Yeah, they, I mean, they, yeah, you're right. That's towards the end, and that's towards the end of the schedule. It was the earlier in the schedule, and then of course the revision. Now they have the, the kind of towards the end in Nebraska. I mean, I still don't I'm not count Nebraska. I think Nebraska is going to be good next year. Now they may not be. But they got a quarterback who I think is pretty darn good. Um, they've been doing pretty well in the transfer portal, and they were close this year. So. You know, I'm not trying to be a hater. Well, I'll go right? even a step further, Corey. Uh, if you want a team that's like a Michigan State, I think Nebraska's got to be that team. I yeah. can barely see them losing only one game. Well, <laughs> it's a big jump, but but listen, they 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 were now, in every think, game. Did you they see did. the way they played, they played last year? I know. They they almost beat everybody. They did. But the problem is they didn't. Right. So <laughs> that is the problem. <laughs> so no, you're right, and and Iowa schedule. Uh, it's not going to change. This year, it kind of changed because Indiana wasn't as good as we thought. Iowa State wasn't as good as we thought. Michigan and Ohio State and Minnesota—they're not taking some big drop like Indiana did. That's just—they're just not going to do it. Their rosters don't. There's not some big exodus of players in the portal from those schools. That those schools are going to be right there competing in their respective divisions, and so it's going to be tough on a team like Iowa. But let's be honest, Iowa was a fortunate to be. At ten and four this year, I think they'll be fortunate to get to nine wins next year. Now I'm talking regular season. Maybe they go. I could see eight and four, and you win a bowl game at nine and three. But um, again, I, I have a hard time seeing ten and ten wins at all, even even including postseason yeah. play. But I could be wrong. You know, I mean, you. most good teams. I mean, you put an Arkansas or Texas A and M in that schedule, they're not getting to ten wins. You could be a good team and go eight and four, not in three in that schedule. And Iowa's offense, Daryl MVP, Iowa's offense is bad, really, really bad. We just went through all those yeah. numbers. It's it's bad. So I was I here. Mean, who are we fooling? I mean, I saw people, I uh, saw people in the media this week talking about how I was going to be a contender again next year in the West. I mean, I that has to be proven to me. I, I just because they won the West this year doesn't mean that they're necessarily a shoe in to win the West next year. Now maybe that. Now again, I'm saying they're not going to get to ten wins. If the offense doesn't change, maybe the offense will improve, Don. Maybe it'll take some big jump. We need to. Yeah, absolutely. We need to. You know, another thing to think about with with, uh, Nebraska as an example, uh, a lot of people might say, well, Nebraska is going to be further uh, compromised because they've replaced some coaches. There's been some coaching shakeup. Well, let's not forget that Michigan went through those coaching shakeups a year ago too, and it turned out that new staff – with uh, some coaches that didn't have such big reputations, that new staff seemed to get it done really well. Um, all of a sudden, Jim Harbaugh is a hot commodity again, and I'm sure Coach Harbaugh would say, "I got to give a lot of credit to my staff because they did a really nice job this year of of giving us the right mindset for a championship season." Well, uh, Don, Corey, that's all I got for you today. Uh, have a great rest of the show and looking forward to the off season in 2022. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you being our final call of the year and, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon.
Will do. Appreciate that from Darrell MVP, our Kentucky fan. And uh, yeah, I see uh, uh, Dependent Fanatic says any T- East team has the tougher schedule. I don't know about that. I don't know about that because Iowa plays too. I mean, again, I don't. The fact that that Iowa has to play at Minnesota, I think Minnesota Purdue. I think Minnesota and Purdue are both going to be good. Don, both both teams get their quarterbacks back. Minnesota gets Ibrahim back. Um, Purdue's got a lot of talent at, at skill position spots. I mean, heck, they scored what fifty five points without David Bell in their bowl game. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they're going to be just fine there. Um, so. Don, uh, I, I know we've we've been kind of running the marathon all year. Uh, I want to take a moment to just, uh, on behalf of myself and and everybody who's listened to the show this season, thank you for for you, everything you've given. Hours of uh, not only analytics and breakdown, but uh, just time here. And hopefully, you enjoyed it yourself. But thank you for being here. It's been a pleasure for me to be able to to uh, share this show with you throughout the season and. And I'll cross my fingers that we get you back next year. Well, thank you, Corey. I appreciate it. And I just want to go on record as saying uh, I think a lot of the listeners that have written in and made this comment to us, they've stated that they think we make a good team. And I think they're right. I think we do make a good team. So I want to thank you for being such a fan of college football. You're what I would call a really informed fan. You you really uh, – you want to gather as much information as you can, and you're open to hearing any and all ideas about how we can accomplish our goals as a team. And And um, I think the listeners are fortunate to have you uh, caring so much about Iowa football and, and being able to put this show together, I think, speaks volumes about about how well you do your job. So thank you. I appreciate you. that. Appreciate that, Don. Appreciate the kindness. And uh, I will say this. One, one of our listeners at one point this season recommended that you and I replace – Ed Podolak and uh, Gary Dolphin. So we can't always endorse everything the listeners say, Don. <laughs> um, well, I, I know I've certainly got a, a face for radio. I, I think maybe your face is more for television, I think. So I, don't no, I appreciate I appreciate that. But I'm, as you know, I'm a radio guy, um, you know, in my past. So um, no, it's, it's been a pleasure. And, and again, appreciate all the, the kind comments we've, uh, we've had an excellent year and we're not, I'm not going anywhere. I can tell you that. And I, Don, you're going to, you're going to be right there in Iowa city and, um, Absolutely. I'm sure you'll be, uh, fully, fully, uh, getting prepared for, for Iowa football here. Not long because analytics take a while, especially when you're breaking down an entire season of data. Um, but I want to remind everybody a lot of my content and content with coach Gary close Iowa basketball post game can be found over on the, from the Hawkeye of the storm channel on YouTube. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook, but from the Hawkeye of the storm on YouTube, of course, uh, again, Subscribe if you haven't already done so because our post game with Coach Gary Close, Coach Close, and by the way, Don, I'll just say this on the air. Coach Close wanted me to to say hi to you. Uh, he heard that it was uh, our final show, so our final show of the season. So, of course, Don, I know you have a lot of respect for for Coach and vice versa, but uh, Coach has Absolutely. done an excellent, excellent job on, on the basketball show. And I was rolling right now, Don. Three of the last four have, has, have won three of the last four games now. Um, and uh, certainly it's an opportunity. I'm talking Big Ten games. Um, it's an opportunity for Iowa to. Uh, they're three and three now in the in the uh, conference. They're right on track for a tourney spot if they can just continue to win the games. They should take care of home court and maybe steal a couple on the road. So hopefully we're talking Hawkeye sports late. In, Hawkeye sports specifically basketball late in March. Yeah, it looks like we got a lot of determined basketball players, and it doesn't seem to bother them too much if they go into a game as the underdog. I think that we can count on a really good effort out of them game after game. 
Absolutely. The Purdue game, perfect example of that. Um, a reminder to everybody, we're here at this channel, Iowa with the Voice of College Football, every Tuesday at 4.30 p.m. Central Time for Iowa Live with myself and Mark Rogers. And believe me, we're going to talk about the offense. We're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about everything: position breakdowns, spring ball, everything. Tuesdays at four thirty, and of course, regular content uh, over at From the Hawkeye of the Storm on YouTube. All right, Don. As always, appreciate the time and uh, take care. We will certainly uh, talk to you soon. Thanks, Corey. It's been my pleasure. Thanks again. Thanks everybody for a great season, and we will see you next year. Have a great night.